The Coco Nation show is an unscripted live and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. everybody to the coco nation episode 339 give me a second while i recover from the pain of hitting my knee on the desk yow <laughs> ouch oh it's a sharp corner too um okay let's see we've got uh screen full today let's see who we got with us uh starting in the upper left hand corner we have marco I'm the upper left again? Yay. You are. And next over, yours truly, the monkey that pushes the buttons. Next over, we have Ken Waters. Howdy, howdy. And Frederick, micro hobbyist. Hello. And next over, we got Rick Uland. Greetings, all. And L. Curtis Boyle. He's never sounded and... better. That's right. <laughs> oh, whoops, sorry. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. <laughs> I see that Rick Rick and I are uh, Retro Rewind twins today. Oh, yeah. All right. Next over, we got David Ladd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I can't wait to see what we got in store for today, and I hope you're just as excited. And now let's see if Nick is just as excited, too. All right, how about it, Nick? Good day. Like, and we have some <laughs> crickets. <laughs> Can I you have a cricket sound for him? <laughs> <laughs> All right, next row we got Redbeard. Hello, everybody. How's it going? And Coconut Bob. Howdy, folks. Welcome. And Kevin Holloway, how you doing? Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. See, in the mm -hmm. chat, we've got Julian Brown, Daddy Burrito, Wayne, Tom Eric Anderson. Okay. Um, if I can't do it right, I try not to do it at all. <laughs> no, really? I, I thought you always used to. <laughs> <laughs> that was part of the uh, fun. So, uh, let's see. Next up, Mark <clears throat> Siegel, Spenny108. Brian Walsh, Jim Rye, and Mikey. Eight bits in the basement. There's Tom again. Retro ENG. 
engineer, I'm guessing. I think so. Uh, Batty Burrito again. Now I can't remember who I've even mentioned before. I think that's <laughs> everybody at least once. <laughs> so active chat today and full panel. All right. Let's see. First up on my list, uh, Frederick. I think you had something to to announce or say. Well, yes, I'm going to uh, have a. Thank you. I'm going to have a live stream uh, next Wednesday, the 22nd, uh, about a new processor. Not a new processor. Come on, we all know the processors I'm working on these days are fairly old, but it's going to be uh, 8-bit CPU. Uh, in my community that I'm running on right now, it's a 6502 Z80, and there's a few mystery um, uh, chips that I'm going to uh, introduce and uh, join in uh, at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday, the, second, the 22nd. That's it. Okay, cool. And that's on YouTube or Twitch? Or... It's on it's on YouTube. Uh, I'll also restream on uh, uh, Twitter and Facebook, but uh, mainly YouTube. You okay, can, what's your uh, YouTube go... channel so people know where to find it? Yeah, uh, you just have to type in at microhobbyist. Put the at symbol first, otherwise you'll end up at, at some sort of microbiologist. You don't want that <laughs> No. <laughs> All right. I have uh, another name on the list that now I can't even read. So, was there someone else that needed uh, any project updates or announcements? Did you have a little one, Rick? Uh, you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I have a couple of things going on, so I'll bring it up. Um, this works. The the Ethernet card with what, the Mark? boot ROM. Uh, just, just hold on a sec, Rick. We want to make sure people can see it. Okay. All right. Go ahead, Rick. So Tell after us. after much uh, struggling, the little Ethernet card with the boot ROM is working. So we will have a cool. new version of Coco.io for Christmas that has no serial port, but good boot on its own. Does that, does that mean you can add the, the little mouse controller now? Oh yeah. Now we got to move <laughs> on to the next version because this version ships. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, Kind of a fun thing. I've been working on, uh, well, in c upcoming shows and so forth. So I've been digging out the 80s and recreating it. So I have this wonderful expanse of cocoa out here um, and coming soon, the uh, hard drive to go with it. So I'll be all able right. to do some demos of period correct stuff and period correct timing on period correct hardware and all of that kind of stuff. So that's fun. And uh, if you were wondering, well, going through all this stuff, I found a lot of neat things. Here's the uh, OS9 V3 in the form of five floppies marked marks commands and about eight floppies marked work stuff and a couple of boot disks. So that's going to be fun to go through. I'd like to see if we can get the Burke and Burke to coexist with the SDC. That that might be fun. I, I haven't gone that far yet. I'm thinking, well... We'll get there. I've, I've tried it, but I seem to struggle actually trying to change uh, uh, drivers and stuff in the boot file. They never seem to work afterwards. Well, and my difficulty is going to be at my level of expertise. I have to boot from floppy, then switch to the SDC, and then we've er, and then switch to the Burke and Burke, and then we've got the SDC. How much am I going to cram in this poor little multi-pack here? You know? <laughs> well, I've got to have my network card because, you know, that's my... Yeah, you only got it. one slot free. <laughs> right. You're going to need the David Ladd 16 slot solution, I think. Possibly. Mm -hmm. say, plug a multi-pack in the front of that one and hang... Okay. Yeah. Or you could do like, you know, Daniel O'Connor did, just plug a multi-pack into a multi-pack. 
Yeah, yeah, only, only that would legitimately work. Right, right. Isn't um, it like plugging a power bar into itself? Much worse. <laughs> much worse. Or a power bar into another power bar that's also plugged in the wall or something like that. Yeah. It's crossing the streams, basically. And I did answer one final question while I was digging through all of my stuff. Is there an equivalent to the uh, GFL football ROM pack that people used to strip apart to put other ROMs in? And there is. And that would be this. Can't see it. Uh, yeah, coming over there. Oh, I'm, un I'm un unmaximized. Sorry. Yep, there you go. So here we go. This is that equivalent. Art Deli. At one time, I had about 700 of these things <laughs> through Connect. So, yeah, this, this is the equivalent of the GFL football. That's more valuable as its enclosure. As a blank floppy. Yes. Oh, and it even has the handy uh, run boot stamped right on it. So when you <laughs> relabel it, people will know what to do with it. Now you got to replace those old stamping the type the word DOS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, this is what we're all working on. I've sort of got my my cocoa online for various things we're going to be doing and. Yeah, this is a bit of a sneak preview, actually, because Rick and I will be uh, hosting a Cocoa Tech on Tuesday, going through the history of G Shell, plus some of the new programming features for it, and how to program for uh, the windowing environment that G Shell itself run to, runs under. So join us 8 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, live on Cocoa Tech. Exactly. You know why I've been digging out all these floppy disks and stuff? On this same <laughs> channel right here. Yep. Okay. And... Um... So, Kirsch, you had some other announcements. Yeah, I got a couple things. So, um, I'm going to cover a couple of uh, this is kind of rehashing stuff. We've been watching the show regularly, but anybody who's missed the last few episodes, we've got a couple of trade shows coming up. We also have a couple of interviews coming up as well. So, I'll do the trade shows first. Okay, you guys are seeing VCF South yep. California. Yeah. Okay, so that is the first one coming up. That's February 17th to 18th in Orange, California at the Hotel Fair Event Center. And the address you can get off the website here. Uh, all, all these uh, links will be in the show notes too on Discord if you want to grab them. Uh, so that's the first one coming up. I did hear, I didn't get any details yet, but the uh, one that had come back from the dead after 10 years in Texas is happening next year. They're already starting to book stuff. And the organizers uh, have actually joined the Tandy Discord and are going to be keeping people up to date. So that one is going on again. They're going to try to get a lot of the Tandy guys. Of course, a lot of them live, you know, in, in the Fort Worth area. So I'm hoping Mark C will be there again and maybe some of the other people that couldn't make it this last time. So that should be a good one, too. So uh, once I get full details on that, I'll add that to the list as well. After that, we got the 32nd annual Last Chicago Cocoa Fest. And that's at the Holiday Inn in Sweet Chicago Carol Stream in Illinois. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. Um, hope to see a lot of you there. That's always a blast. And uh, we'll have some new new products and stuff to show off there, too. And the last one is Boat Fest, the third annual Boat Fest uh, in a venue that's just literally down the street from where it was last year. Uh, that's happening in June 14th to 16th. Um, at the social event space, that's the name of the venue itself. It's not just a generic name. And that's a general uh, retro gaming and for all cross platforms, uh, both home computer and consoles. Also, they'll be doing hardware repairs and upgrades and stuff as well. Uh, Frank from Retro Rewind is a sponsor of that one, as he is a sponsor of our show. Um, 
I was talking, I can't remember who I was talking to, but <clears throat> last year I took like some 3D glasses just to show Steve Bjork's Warp Fighter 3D, just to show what people what a 3D game with glasses look like. And I, you know, I can't haul a cocoa because I'm usually flying to Toronto to get down there. So it's not too much I can haul on the plane. But somebody uh, mentioned something I totally forgot about. There's a couple of uh, Sega Master light gun games that DICOM put out. And that just needs the Sega Master light gun and a little adapter interface that Di- Dave Dyes and DICOM made. And I could bring that. And as long as somebody has an RGB monitor of some sort to set up on there, or even a composite if we have to. But there's a couple of games, Iron Forest and Medieval Madness. And we can actually show uh, some of the laser gun games on the Coco, Coco 3 specifically. So I think I might bring that down to the show this year. Any Anything you're planning on bringing, Ken? Or? Uh, I have no idea yet. I'm okay. going to figure out what's going on for that uh, spring. Okay. That's so far ahead, I can't plan that far <laughs> in the future. <laughs> okay, so anyway, that's the uh, upcoming events. And like I said, I'll add the, uh, the Texas... Um, VCF as soon as I get the full details but it has been basically decided there is going to be one which is good okay switch over to okay you should be seeing the newsletter on there I'm hoping yep. okay so as far as interviews go we've now got two officially booked uh, the first one we've talked about for a while here it's next week and that's both Joe Ahern, I'll pronounce that correctly, uh, David McNally, who created this newsletter called Tier City Computing. And the last year was renamed to Color Computing, which is basically what it covered the whole time anyway. Uh, this is a newsletter slash magazine. They ran from 1987 to 1991-ish, 2-ish. Um, and they started this as uh, early high school kids. And they stopped it once they got to college and figured out there's way too much time you have to do for studying and stuff. So they didn't have time to do it anymore. And the entire run of that series, five years of newsletters slash magazines, is all on the archive. Um, this week, I decided to pick the first one from the second volume, so 1988. If you remember, the first one was all like taped together, you know, hand-drawn and colored stuff here. So here they're trying to look a little bit more professional. Um, you know, they're just high school students having fun with this thing, and they, they kept it going for quite a while. They do their own programming, too. Some of the games and stuff they write here, they wrote themselves. Actually, most of them. And they also eventually got some pretty big name authors like Bob Vanderpool and others, you know, writing articles for them. So that was really cool. It's the same people that wrote for Rainbow. So uh, definitely go check these out. If you have any questions uh, for them, you may be able to go through there and maybe get kind of a good feel what they're like as when they were writing these as teenagers. And, uh, you know, bring the questions to the show next week. So they'll be our guests next week. And then two weeks after that, we just confirmed we have to do a few, you know, special checks on Zoom calls and stuff. And I also have to find out if he wants to be on the beginning of the show or the middle. I think he kind of handed at the beginning. So, but in two weeks time on December the 9th, we're going to have Mike Snyder. Uh, for those of you who don't recognize the name, he's got a couple of games that are, I've already got on my website and there's a fair bit more I have to still put on. But basically he did a lot of Coco 1 and 2 and Coco 3 games between 87 and 91 for T&D Software, the tape magazine. And he's also got his own retro website, you can see here, which kind of gives a little bit of his history. And you can see on the sidebar on the far left, he's got screenshots just of random ones. And you can, if you refresh the page, it picks different random ones because he wrote a lot of games. And you can see a complete list here. If you scroll down, he's got 10 disc images you can download. And here's like disc one, here's disc two, here's disc three. You know, that's all the stuff he crammed out in TND over the span of four or five years. So there's a lot of stuff there. Um, he's also got stuff like his old text adventure maps. So he's planning those. You can take a look at those. So he's going to be our guest on uh, December the 9th. 
And I'm looking forward to that because I've played a few of these and I've, I've got a few of them on my website ready, but there's quite a few I haven't got to yet. There's a few others I've played but haven't got on my website yet as well. Uh, but if you're a gamer, and you did write some other stuff too, but if you're a gamer, you'll definitely want to check that out. And almost all of these are in basic, so you can kind of get a feel what Super Extended Basic can do. So that's December 9th. And I'm still trying to firm away a couple of other ones too. <clears throat> Once I get full details or you know they agree to do it, then we'll announce those as well. Now, I wanted to ask the panel here, uh, we were just talking in the pre-show here about the uh, you know Thanksgiving and you know how to you know, work around that in the schedule. Um, I'm wondering here, when should we have a cutoff of maybe not, you know, populating December too much because, you know, people are getting busy with Christmas and stuff. And I don't want to like tie up either our guests or the panel doing super long shows right before Christmas. So I'm just wondering after the December 9th, should I wait till January to book other interviews? What do you guys think? I'm kind of leaning that way with Coco Tech. I'll see what people think, but yeah, I'm kind of thinking they're probably. Yeah, because you got, you got a December one book too, don't you? Yeah, December 5th. And that's the last one I have so far. Okay. Kind of makes sense. A couple of weeks off for Christmas. And... Yeah. Like yeah. If, if we do have some shows during that time, they'll just be the regular, no extra guests and stuff. So they'll be shorter. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Cause then we'll then, have like a month and then we'll be on the other side of the holidays. Yeah. And we've already got two uh, segments like extra stuff on on December here, the fifth and the ninth already too. So I mean, the beginning of December we already have extra stuff booked. But after that, I figure if we wait till January, that's probably the best for everyone. Now, last year we decided to actually take uh, you know some days off, even from the regular show. Are we doing that again this year? Well, Christmas is on a Monday this year. So Christmas Eve would be on a Sunday, and our show would be right before that. So Christmas Eve Eve. Yeah, I don't really see I, any interference. I'd rather have that day off myself personally, but I'll leave it up to you guys. And then come back for, uh, let's see, January. So we have 21, 28, and then four. What are we skipping that range? Is, I guess the question, right? Or no, I'm looking at the wrong thing 23, 30, and six. So, yes, yeah, so January 6th is the first, uh, is the first show after New Year's. So 23, um, nothing. The 30th will probably be okay. We did one last year on the. Yeah. New, New Year's to me isn't as much of a holiday. I mean, it's just people are hungover is the only thing you got to worry about. But, <laughs> right? but, but literally yeah. two days before Christmas, especially if people are traveling to go That's visit relatives and stuff. Yeah. yeah I, I would say that wouldn't, if we're going to take one off, that'd be the one I'd pick. For the, uh, yeah. the 23rd? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then you guys in up, agreement? Pick up again on the 30th. Yep. Okay, let's do that. All right. So that's the official announcement, folks. We're gonna take <laughs> the twenty third off. Hey, we do we do everything live. All right. <laughs> Interactive and all of that. Yeah. So no show on twelve twenty three. Okay. And not booking any extra Cocotex or um, extra guest interviews during past the ninth, I guess. Till the right. until January. Yeah, until January 6th or something. So, Unless a also, really special guest comes up and that's the only day they can do it, then I might. But Sure. Uh, speaking of the holidays, so this Thursday, upcoming Thursday, being U.S. Thanksgiving, uh, we decided we were going to be skipping the Game On Challenge. Yes. Yes. I was going to announce that during the Game On Challenge segment. Okay. I'll we do it now. You can do that again. You <laughs> on Thursday, again. we're not having a live game on challenge because it's apparently 
a Thursday. So I guess we're just not having it because it's Thursday. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, it's Canadian Thursday. That's what that, that day is called. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Canada now I will mention, too. you know, for us Canadians and Australians and the people from elsewhere, if you guys want to come in the Discord and just have an impromptu game on challenge just between ourselves, just not broadcasted, I think we could probably still pull that off. And yes, Canada does have a Thanksgiving during harvest, which is a good time to have Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, because if we, we did it like you Americans, we'd be piled under snow. Yeah. All right. We call it snows giving or snow piercing or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, that's the um, that's the second interview. So uh, hope you guys will be able to join us for that, especially you game players, because I'd like you guys to try out some of this stuff. You can download all the stuff off the site. It's also all upgraded, uploaded to the archive. Um, there's some pretty good platformers and stuff in there. I know I've played a few of those. There's a few games that even he himself says, you know, I wish I had done that better, but. He was a teenager. He was a, a high school student and college student during the time he wrote. Although it's kind of similar to the, our guest next week. Cool. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, programming note, uh, Bob. Yes. You've got a fuzzy background on, so we can't see your board. That's a just a blurry oh, mess. I'll, I'll, yeah, all we see is your pen. <laughs> well, let me fix that. Um... <laughs> all right. All right. Moving on. Um... Were there any other announcements, or was that it? Yeah, me. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. There, there's some Cocoa Tech stuff for Mark to talk about, yep. including, I think, uh, 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 coverage of last <clears throat> week's show. Or, and also, if you can talk to Bob, because he was kind of a guest on our regular show, too, and he's kind of a Cocoa Techy type person. Yeah, a lot of stuff here to unpack for Cocoa Tech stuff, including a little extra bonus. Okay, so I just posted Mike Snyder's website. Anybody want to go check it out? Okay, and he's the guy we're going to have on on December 9th, I think it is. Correct. So, okay, so Cocotech. Um, this last week was uh, Drive Wire with uh, Mikey Furman. Thank you, Mikey, and Boise Pete, and uh, learned some really good history. I knew that the Drive obviously, if there's Drive Wire three and four, there must have been a one and two. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to find out that they were pretty limited in capability, but they, they served Boise's purpose because he was the one that wrote it. But it's amazing what it's morphed into. Of course, and all the variations of drive wire out there, and all the things that are done with it now. Uh, we'll probably have a follow up one just because there's some things we didn't get to, like uh, drive wirelessly from our own Sloopy Malibu and uh, some other variations of drive wire. And there's a couple of things too, but I didn't write those down. But anyway, there'll, there'll be another. There's some dragon related drive wire stuff. I know one of yes, them. That would be very cool to do too. And dragon <laughs> stuff, another cool thing. Um, so, coming up this coming Tuesday. I know we're stuck on Tuesdays at the moment, just it's a handy time for us here when we have day jobs. Uh, but uh, I'm, a, I'm open to other times, probably a morning on a Saturday or Sunday at some point, and I'll talk about that shortly. But coming up this Tuesday, same time, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is UTC minus five, uh, we're going to do a deep dive with uh, Curtis Boyle and uh, Rick Euland here on uh, G-Shell, uh, updates and additions in EOU specifically, and basically development over the last 35 years. So that should be really interesting for people interested in uh, OS 9 and uh, the graphic environment that's on it. I'm going to be paying attention, of course, because I'll be there. Um, I have one other scheduled uh, until we get to December or in December, and that'll be on uh, basically Grease Weasel and other imaging uh, platforms uh, and floppies in general. So I'll have uh, Mr. Ladd with me. Thank you, David. And uh, Mikey Furman again. And uh, Paul Piscarelli should be along with his, uh, I think it's called SCP, which is uh, another imaging product. 
And I understand somebody has a cat weasel. I don't remember who it was exactly, but that would be also kind of fall in there too. Sounds like we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about. And so we might have to stretch that to another show at some point, or maybe stretch this one a little more than the two hours. We've been doing good to keep it down to two hours. Oh, and by the way, last week's uh, Coco Tech has like 224 views so far on YouTube. So um, seems to be getting some attention. That's cool. Um, other Coco Tech stuff. I've got some other stuff kind of lined up in the wings. I've been talking with uh, Julian Brown and, uh, and uh, um, Kieran um, Sixie about uh, the Dragon Repo boards that they're working on. I'll probably get them and uh, Pedro Pena, Rocky Hill, who did the uh, Coco 2 and Coco 3 repo boards, repro boards. Uh, like you can see one on the screen right now that uh, Bob Emery's working on. Yeah, he's working on a Coco 3 one in white. Uh, basically, get all them on to talk about, you know, reverse engineering, um, Dragon 32, Dragon 64. Uh, Coco 2, Coco 3, and making a replacement motherboard. So when you uh, have that broken Coco where all the chips still work, uh, or a dragon, you can uh, maybe make it work again. So that should be really good. No time set yet, but sometime probably in the next couple months. Uh, that one will probably be an early Saturday morning, or uh, um, for me, early, since I'm uh, UTC minus 8. So uh, that would be like for five, 6 or 7 a.m. for me, which would be about 3 in the afternoon for England. Uh, what was that, Mark B.? I was just saying, when you uh, uh, work it on your cocoa and you lift all the traces, there's a replacement yep. board. <laughs> yep, there's a replacement exactly. board. Besides blue wire. <laughs> yeah, green. which is quite oh. common on the cocoa 3 motherboards. Yep. 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 Um, let's see. I've had a couple other ideas batted around for cocoa tech. Oh, yeah, Sloopy is uh, collecting a few uh, inexpensive oscilloscopes, and he'll be giving a uh, um, lesson on their use and how to do troubleshooting with uh, cocos and other sorts of uh, who knows what sort of equipment he might drag out of the back room. He might see a Commodore even, uh, knowing Sloopy or an Atari. Uh, and that'll be good. We'll shove that in there somewhere since I'm not planning on doing these kind of in-depth uh, Coco Techs every, every week. Um, oh, and then I guess the bonus thing, I think that covers most of it. The bonus thing is, is that um, the Glenside Computer Club, the host of the Coco Fest and coming up this May 4th and 5th or 3rd, 4th and 5th in uh, Chicago, uh, we're interested in doing like a virtual fest in uh, like January or so. Basically, the 2021 that we did when we all couldn't meet in real life uh, seemed to went really well. And so they're kind of interested in doing that again. And so since we have a network structure here and followers and interested in this particular computer line, they kind of was trying to team up with us to kind of uh, do uh, some sort of event. So we have basically so far just called a stupid uh, <laughs> virtual event for color computers and dragons. Um, I think we'll probably do it the last week in January, weekend in January, probably again early on a morning for me. So it'll be midday for England and you know, late morning for most of the people here on the uh, Western Hemisphere. Um, try to schedule people that wouldn't be able to make it to a Cocoa Fest uh, to be able to present something. So it'll be kind of cool. You like the virtual one we did in 2020? Well, find a link and we'll post that so you can go back and look at it, see what it is. By the way, that was the longest. Um, the longest uh, Cocoa Talk we ever did. At Over six, six hours. Yep, six hours. <laughs> wow. Just just kept happening. Stuff kept happening. And also one of our most popular episodes. Yes, one far. of the most popular. I, what was it? 600 views, 700 views, something like that? I didn't look it up. But yeah, it's it was, uh, it was a muchly needed thing. Probably our second most popular one was the Dragon one we did. What was it last? Which year? is also six hours. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the longer years. the show we do, the more popular we are. We should just run this 24 hours like CNN. Yep, exactly. We'll get there. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, there will be a virtual fest. I will post uh, 
date time uh, thing here shortly on probably Facebook since it's a good place to announce that and uh, collect people who might be interested in presenting something and setting up a little schedule so we can schedule people in. So it's going to be fun. Um, you know, amazing amount of cocoa and dragon stuff to talk about every week. And, uh, you know, this. Sort yeah, of stuff. I, I will mention that uh, Rick, you and myself and Wayne Campbell are planning some other OS nine and base nine in particular ones, but we'll probably wait for the new year before we start scheduling those. No problem. So plenty to talk about. We got lots of bandwidth here to use. So anyway, so uh, that's where Coco Tech is at at the moment. Uh, next, this coming Tuesday, and then two weeks after that. And don't hey, worry. Hey, Mark, uh, the, the episode. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, hey, Mark, I just wanted to say thanks for all the work you're doing and spearheading Coco Tech, and it's it's sure coming together nice. You've you've done a great job. So kudos, man. I've been wanting to do this for a few years now, and uh, you know, it's like you know, Stevie Stroh talked about this oh four years ago or whatever. It'd be nice to you know kind of stretch out a little bit and add some more content to, you know, we have a channel, we have a network we're doing. And so we've got people and infrastructure and knowledge, you know, why not leverage it a little more? And so, you know, I kind of thought, yeah, I think I like a tech stuff. So I'd, I'd like to head up a tech show and get better at streaming stuff. And I'm still up, still stumbling along, but soon I'll be up to the big leagues and I can get moved up and help Mark be out. But anyway, thank you. Um, yeah, it's just, these, it's just been interesting so far. I mean, we've only done a couple of these, but um, been fascinating. And, you know, I just, Anyway, I'm really enjoying this, and I'm going to keep help pushing this along and helping other people. I was going to ask too, because I mean, now that we're getting a you know a fairly wide variety of shows, we've got the Game on Challenge show, we've got the main show, we've got Coco Tech show, we might have some others in the future too. Um, is anybody going to start making playlists so that people can kind of narrow down if there's certain looking for say Coco Tech stuff that they can not have to hunt through every single show for a month? Or yeah, something? we should we should probably create some playlists and start assigning stuff. So. We, we do have some playlists in the YouTube channel built, and I think on the, the uh, Coco Nation Network website, um, I'm going to change that to not maybe uh, show them all. We'll, we'll have it kind of grouped differently. I think it's getting big enough. We, we need to do that. So Yeah, I was trying to find like a, a previous interview, and I, I was having trouble trying to find the darn thing. You did scare me, Curtis, now that you're talking – CNN, we have the Coco News Network. I'm I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be like ESPN and have like eight different channels of 24-hour content. <laughs> As we bring people on board and get them trained, we can do that. We're going there's, there. We got three now. So there's there's the mm-hmm. gaming channel running 24 hours a day. There's the news channel running 24 hours a day. Yeah. There's the hardware channel 24 software. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna do another work. <laughs> I do like the playlist thing because I think that really helps. So you can have like an interviews playlist, like you know Steve had right. on the original Coco Talk, and then you know you know having Coco Tech as its own channel, so that people, if they were just looking for the tech stuff, they can just go there rather than hear, hear me blather. Yeah, it's possible. That makes it a little harder for people to find too. It's nice when we have just one one channel; everything gets piled onto. It, it'll probably if we keep going, it might have to be. Well, there'll be from what Terry's described. Those will be side by side. Like here's the Coco Tech stuff. Here's the regular show stuff. So if you you can bounce back and forth fairly easily, but just if you're trying to narrow the search down, I think it, it does get a bit difficult. Yeah, yeah, it does need to be a little bit easier to find and sort out. So, yeah, discoverability. That's that's what it's about. Yes. Yeah, that's where the playlist will come in handy. Yeah, yeah, because if you don't use a playlist, you just use like the main videos list. It'll be everything in order, just like it is now. It just we need something to help for the people that are trying to find by 
the, the show title. Or if people just want to watch the game on challenge because they like Ken so darn much. Mm-hmm. Well, they just need to start episode number one and go through all 339 episodes. And they'll know exactly where they're at. <laughs> That's right. And don't forget all the non-numbered interview episodes we did before that. <laughs> of course, the nice oh, thing is you can watch it at 1.25 or even 1.5 speed. Yeah, my favorite way of watching out the old episodes with me on it is she hitting the mute button, and then it's it's not <laughs> not too bad. Hey, David Ladd. Ken Record recommended having David Ladd do a bumper that says, this is CNN. Coco News Network. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? Watch us get sued. Copyright strikes. Yep. Well, you just call it the Coco News Network and they put CNN in parentheses, and it's like there's no confusion. Just they have to use CNN. Yeah. Just add an extra C. No, we're already CCN, right? Now, sure. I did want to ask uh, uh, Bob, of course, last week while we were on the show, he started before and he finished after the show started and ended. Uh, he's been doing a live stream of his working on the Athena, the Coco 3 duplicate motherboard by Pedro. Um, First of all, Bob, I want to ask, uh, how's that going? Because obviously you're working on it again here. Uh, are you live streaming it again? Your I am update not today? live streaming at the moment. I just wasn't quite prepared for all of that. Um, but yeah, just uh, getting all the chips in and hopefully going to do a quick uh, smoke test here shortly. Okay. Because I wanted to ask Mark Overholzer, if we have side streams done by some of the community and mm -hmm. it's something that you know, might be of interest to the general viewers of Coco Nation. Do we want to include links to their videos in some way, shape, or form, or even as part of Coco Tech, if it's technically related or whatever, yeah, just to help spread the word? Yeah, well, I mean, always. Also, I mean, on a related note, I didn't even think about it last week, but the Coco Nation's audio was included in my entire live stream. So, Oh, copyright straight for you then. Holy cow. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm <laughs> lawyers on that right away. No, but... <laughs> But one of the th nice things about playlists is that you can include external channel videos exactly. in playlists. So, gotcha. yeah, that wouldn't be a problem there to add, add, you know, if someone wants to create their own episode on their channel and just link it in or anything. It's Yeah, because I was, I was thinking like, like Ken Waters, he, his channel is not exclusively Coco. He covers a lot of different platforms, but he does do a fair bit of Coco material. And it's a wide variety, like playing games and comparing them with other platforms or hardware upgrades or whatever. And that would be perfect to have in a playlist on the Coco Nation show as, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, friends of the channel or whatever. But basically, you, you could have a lot of, you know, decent content there. And it also helped, you know, drive numbers for them as well and get them more well-known. I know, agree. Inside, inside and outside of the Coco community. And it might help people watching Ken's stuff to get back to us, too, so. And anybody yeah, else who doesn't need Coco-related content. Yes. Right. Just as long as you don't add my uh, one video, you'll be fine. Oh, that's mandatory. Oh, no, what are you that, talking that's about? Going, <laughs> that's going up definite. That is actually that's the headline. going to be starting one of the Game on Challenges eventually. The, the new Coco Nation introduction video. video is not going to have Bruce sing, uh, talking about you know, the Coco Nation. We're just going to be playing David's thing on, on loop. Oh, Lord. <laughs> So the board is complete. Zoom Thanks. that up there, Mark. Let's take a look at, at, at Bob's handiwork. Are we ready for the smoke test? 
That looks good, I have to say. Remarkably similar to a Coco, doesn't it? Uh Oh, I think it might be ready for a smoke test. He's about to hook up the transformer. I'm going to slide the rest of the panel off to the side here so we got full view of the board. Yeah. Are you sure that's so live? We're going to see if this works. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Stupid joke. Go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say live. We're going to see if this works or if we're going to see magic smoke. Either way, it'll be entertaining. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we need to take quick bets on the panel here. Is it going to work or is it going to smoke? I have well, faith in That's going to no work. No smoke, no work. Well, considering that one chip is in backwards. No smoke and no work. That's an interesting one. <laughs> no, the hope it don't smoke because it's got an actual gimme in it. We don't want that going poop. No, no, no. Well, I sure wasn't going to put the Gimme X in here for the first test. <laughs> no, that's <Right>. even rarer. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if, if those are following the Gimme X discussion channel on Discord, there looks like uh, AC's 8-bit zone is actually might try to make his own Gimme X style thing uh, and duplicate some of the functionality of Gimme X since... Uh, a new hope. Nothing has been mm-hmm. happening with the Gimme X for a couple of years now, though uh, Frank of Retro Rewind has said that if, uh, you know, he gets permission to do so. He's he's willing to manufacture it himself. Switch over to AV here. I will switch my camera so you can see the monitor. Yes, yes. You've got 128K in there right now, it looks like? Yeah. Okay. Place your bets. Place your bets. Okay, come on. There we go. All bets are closed. All bets are closed. All right. Anybody? Got what, what do you think, Bob? Before you plug it in and turn it on here, what um, what do you think? Is it going to work? Is it going to not work, but not smoke, or is it going to smoke? I think it's gonna. I don't know. I think, knowing my luck, it's not going to work. But maybe nothing will blow up. <laughs> <laughs> He's just simmering with confidence, there, folks. There's also happens. a couple of resistors I saw in there that are in backwards. Oh, all the resistors are backwards. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's not going to work if they're backwards. <laughs> but they're yeah, in not... consistently backwards. So oh, look... okay. Uh, and us software right. guys are going, I don't get it. <laughs> now, the shield, now the shields are coming out. All right. So, yeah, high protection. Extinguisher handy. There's only a couple caps on the board. Okay, well, the relay clicked. Right. No video. Input on the screen. Nothing is smoking or shaking. You got the right composite. And does a relay click if you turn it off and on again? Or, or is that a fluke? Yeah. Reset button makes the relay click. Okay, so the ROMs are running then, by sounds of it. Um, no. Just the input on the TV? Yeah. My super cheap uh, logic probe here. I'm going to look for... So who is it that said that it would uh, not work, but it would not cause smoke? Was that Frederick? Me, yeah, yeah. You won. You won the pool. I have no idea what the prize is, but you won the pool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's see. Lucky clock. Yeah, I've got a clock. Are you able to see the lights lighting here? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before you go any further, Bob, uh, not being a hardware guy, this might be a stupid question, uh, but is it possible just the screen output on the composite's not working and it would work, say, if you plugged in RGB or something? Um, that's a possibility. I'm What I'm seeing on the composite test pad here is just a solid high. So 
actually, I guess I could put it on mm. the scope too. Um, a lot of things have to be working. I mean, the gimme would have to be working, the ROM's working, CPU working for it to click the relay. Yep. So I mean, you can type in a keyboard and blindly type motor on off and just make sure the ROMs are fully functioning. Maybe there's a bridged um, solder joint. Right, solder blah bridge. Uh, other than the absence of the keyboard, you could do that, I guess. <laughs> I don't know where you'd find one of those. Well, nothing getting hot or anything, so that's a good sign. That's a precursor to smoke. Uh, <laughs> I really like that motor on trick because you don't need any kind of video. You know. By the way, for those of you into stats here, Scott Cooper in the chat has just said 339 episodes on an average of four hours per episode is 56.5 full 24-hour days to watch. <laughs> so we can start a retro channel of just replaying all the old stuff. Well, we were kind of doing that on Roku when Roger Taylor was kind of sharing the feed for a while there. Maybe we should talk to him again if he's still doing that. I know that Brian Joyce, when he did the thing for the 200th episode of uh, Coco Talk, that he had calculated the hours, total hours up. And I went through and figured out it was like 3.21 hours uh, average per show at that point. That was back when we were shorter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it probably is closer to four hours now. There you go. You could just start a Twitch channel and have just old episodes playing 24 hours a day. Yeah, you literally could. And he's just doing the 339 episodes of the regular show. He's not including over 100 you know, episodes of the Game on Challenge. He's not including the Kokotex. He's not including the pre-Kokotalk interviews. After Dark. After Oh, yeah, I forgot about After Dark. We could bring back that one at some point. Hey, I'm going to try motor on. Not hearing anything. No. Okay, so the ROM's Should... not pro running properly. Is it plugged into the dies. LG TV? Is it on? I'm not seeing any lights. Uh, there's a no signal flowing uh, across okay, the screen. I didn't there. notice it. Okay. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, we'll uh, let we'll him, come uh, back to Bob in a little bit. Part two. The debug. <laughs> If you you should have been live streaming you this. You could have all kinds of people power? commenting on what to check. Have you got A4? Have you got B6? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It looks pretty, though. It's a little different troubleshooting when you got a system that's never proven itself. Yeah. Because previously... Yeah, because even Pedro hasn't made uh, one of these fully up and populated and tried it, has he? Uh, yes. I think he has. Oh, he has? Okay. Well, well, when you're normally troubleshooting a Cocoa, it's at least worked in the past. Oh right, you know, and so uh, then it was just just one of the thing that one thing that's missing. But here, you have a system that hasn't been commissioned yet or proven itself, uh, so there could be a lot more to check for. But apparently, yeah. others have worked, which is a lot better than working on something like. Yeah, if you get a raw circuit board from <laughs> yeah. you know a manufacturer uh, well, for you and you didn't which, notice, which you has never worked for anybody anywhere yeah. at any time, and will it work after I get done mucking with it? I don't know. Well, it's like Julian and, and and others have done when they've you know done their dragon repo boards and they they tried for the first time and then they found out they you know they swapped a couple of pins, traces right. or something like Two that. Two traces are flipped or yeah something stupid. Yeah, there's um another YouTube channel I watch and it's Knowles something retro channel i believe but he was building up a commodore 64 board 
um, reproduction board, and his issue wasn't the board or soldering work. It was fake chips. <laughs> oh, that got I think him. I saw that. Yeah, Noel's retro lab. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and it was fake fake chips that burned him, not not the board or a soldering work. It was fake chips. Got him. Have you ever hit? Wow. Uh, wait till Ken gets his headphones back on. Uh, Frederick, has that ever hit you? You gotten fake chips like you ordered I, something and it's labeled as one and came as something else? I am lucky so far, but I just received uh, the order for the uh, sixty three oh nine, uh, so I'm going to uh, use rubbing alcohol on it to see if it's if it, if it rubs <laughs> off. <laughs> right. I was going to ask uh, you other hardware guys, so Rick and and Mark and Ken and well both Marks, I guess. Have, have you guys ever gotten fake rebranded chips? You I keep trying, but I haven't been able to get one yet. <laughs> not, I not, have. Not that I know of. I bought a lot of 6809s and 6309s from Camelus X, uh, who, who used to be here in the U.S., then moved back to the Netherlands, I believe. Yeah. Anyways, like 20 or so of each, and he packed them in just a tinfoil on a, a pad. So it's like, I don't know if something happened to him after the fact or if some of them were fake. A lot of them work, some of them didn't. So I don't know if they're fake or not. I've gotten chips that don't work in the past, but I've never gotten ones where you can rub the uh, silk screen off with the rubbing alcohol or anything. Yeah, and you find out it's not a CPU, it's a PIA or whatever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just some random. Hey, Ken, yeah. Franklin Harris said he'll send you it live. What? Franklin I'll Harris. try it live. Oh, See nice. if my chips oh. are okay. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Frank's going to send me all kinds of fake chips. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I can't seem to get any from China. I keep ordering them, and they keep coming, and they work. Yeah, the uh, the chips that I've gotten that were fake myself were the ones that were on the blue pills that were used for making the Grease Weasel F1s. Every, I think I ordered 20 of them between three different suppliers, which ended up being the exact same packages <laughs> from all three vendors. And the microcontrollers were fake. They all Mark, failed to pass. Mark, if you want to zoom up Frederick here, he's actually doing the uh, the test to see if these uh, chips have been relabeled. Is it rubbing off? No, at least that one's oh. okay. But I've got a few other uh, peripheral chips that I'll try also. Well, the other yeah, that's a danger, especially is... if you're ordering from China, from what I understand. I mean, I'm not hard yeah. so I don't do this, but uh, and there's nothing nothing on your rag either. So alcohol's the right. first one, and then the the second test after that is then. Um, um is it acetone? acetone acetone is the second test that's nail the... polish remover or something isn't it yeah right yes but yeah, the actual chemical is, is acetone i'm just trying translating for the non-geeks here like me i actually had an idea to do a video about getting fake chips from china and so i ordered a whole bunch and they just all turned out to be real <laughs> another couple of comments in the chat here while he's doing testing these chips here with the uh alcohol test first Julian Brown, <clears throat> creator of the uh, Dragon 32 uh, motherboard duplicate, and now getting the oh. expanded version. Oh, did you That's get some? A little bit, little bit of dirt. If I'm glass. Frederick, you might want to pull your mic a bit closer, too, if you can. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, no, it, it was a, a little bit of dirt, but uh, it uh, did not reveal anything else. Like the paint didn't, it still looks good. Yeah, it does. Let's try something else. Yeah. So uh, Julian Brown, uh, created the Dragon 32, said, uh, oops, I think it's cold off here. Board? 
He says, uh, Noel, uh, the channel we're talking about before, has one of his dragon boards and keyboard sets waiting to be built. So I'm guessing there'll be a dragon build on Noel's channel at some point in the future, which is awesome. Uh, Daddy Burrito says, gosh, you guys make it sound like a disease. It was the fake chips that got him. (laughs) It is kind of a disease. (laughs) Hey, I couldn't help it. I, I enjoy watching people build their machines or fix them. That's why I love Adrian's digital basement and and Joel's or Noel's shop and um, others. Julian Brown also says he's been burned on fake CPLDs. Two lots of 10 from different suppliers with the same issue. Alcohol won't ship the etching, but acetone is a safe bet. Right. And then Frank uh, Linares of uh, Retro Rewind says the, those chips are still made, not likely to be fake. Yeah, the fake ones are usually relabeled because they're rare, like they're old new stalker or pulled out of old motherboards and stuff. So, right. And then Julian uh, added, Noah's promised to stream the uh, Building the Dragon Reaper board, but he said no schedule yet. Yeah, the so, uh, some of the chips that uh, uh, Pedro uses, um, like for the PIAs, um, He's been using the ones from Western Design Center, WDC, um, and those are the 65C21s, I believe. Is that right, Mark? 21 uh, or 22. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sounds right. So, and he says those seem to work fine. So um, I thought about ordering a few of those to keep on hand to replace for, for both the Coke. Cocoa one, two, and threes in case the PIAs <laughs> fry. Plus, they'd use less power because they're CMOS instead of. Yeah, they'd be run cooler then too, right? Just like a six or nine versus six, eight or nine. Yep. At least that's what my hope would be. So, Western Design Center, for those who don't know, is Bill Minch, I guess it is. He was one of the uh, Motorola engineers that left and went to MOS Technologies. And then he continued developing the 6502 CO2 and that sort of stuff and other peripheral chips and still makes them, has them made today. Uh, this is kind of weird because I received these chips individually separated uh, plastic containers. And usually they're in a tube, but the tube has been cut mm-hmm. for all 10 of them. That was lazy. Or well, not lazy. Actually, it's more work. Right. <laughs> Maybe it was cheaper chi- for the makes, shipping. Makes the ch- the package form factor a little bit easier to work with instead of yeah, long. probably yeah. Yeah, if you have to you have your shipping rate by volume, which is the size of the package, then you would, you would save. Okay, so the chips all look fine, but the printing is coming off of Frederick. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Frederick's a fake. <laughs> His real name's Jim. No, it's just drying out of skin. <laughs> Come on, get out. Hate it when they use oh, uh... No, I won't leave. Bob, how is your end going? Are you figuring anything out? I'm uh, rearranging cameras right now so I can show the scope <clears throat> and the board at the same time. At least I know I have a good clock signal now. 
Okay. Well, while these two are doing uh, the checks on the chips and uh, checks on the motherboard, et cetera, we should probably continue with the rest of the show. And you guys can interject if you find anything. Okay. Uh, let's see. Commercial break and then game on results. Sounds good to me. Suddenly. Okay. Here we go. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should, too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wapke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, TJB Chris, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? LaBandit says, Hi, my first name is Renee, French name, because I'm from Quebec, Canada. I'm back to my old love, from my first Coco 1 computer in 1981, I bought a Coco 3 and an MC10. Here be Dragon says, hi there. Tony J here from the UK, seeing what you guys are up to here in Coco land, although I do have a Coco 1, 2 and 3 as well as far far too many dragons, you're right, there's absolutely no such thing as too many dragons. Rob CFG says, hi. My name is Roberto F, I have too many systems to name them here. But I'll say that my first computer was an Atari 800XL, followed by an Amstrad CPC, and later on I got my first Dragon. I'm looking to be kept on the loop for Dragon and Coco News, and in touch with the community. Amardeep AC9MF says, Hi. My name is Amardeep C and I have a Coco problem. Sort of an addiction if you will. It started in December of 1980 when I brought home a shiny new 263001. Gosh I love that 2343 bytes of RAM. I love using the machine and exploring what their hardware can do. I'm looking forward to sharing and reading about these wonderful machines. Thank you. NH Paul says, Hello. Paul here, I've been active over in the Tandy Discord, own a TRS-80 Model 1 system and also an Atari 130XE system, and recently inherited a Coco 2. Never owned or used one back in the day, so hoping to learn more about it here. 
Kelly L says, Good day. Name is Kelly. Have at least one of each cocoa among my extensive TRS slash Tandy collection. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Acetone. Mm-hmm. Welcome everybody to yes. the Coco Nail Nation Game On. Yeah, her smells nice. Results. Too many questions. If you're, if you have a this bottle week of we your played. Own. Yeah, but I have a gallon. Prospector. <laughs> we had a total of eleven players. They were Mister Dave sixty three oh nine with nine hundred. Coconut Bob thirteen fifty. C Duras seventeen fifty. Dave Lad thirty five hundred. Shenley thirty nine fifty. Jim Rye, 4,300. Sloopy Malibu, 4,400. L. Curtis Boyle, 4,450. Canadian Retro Things, 6,100. Tasman, 16,150. And this week's number one score belongs to Buck Owens with 17,550. Thanks everybody that played, and we'll see you again next week. The Coco Nation salutes Buck Owens. All right, Ken, you're up. Okay, so that was uh, Prospectors. Or, um, let's see. So, didn't really find any reviews of the game, but uh, what is it? The December '88 issue of. I think this was Rainbow. Rainbow. Yeah. yeah. Is the issue where it is a type in game. So this is the issue where it is uh, listed. And it has a little bit of a just talking about the game, but then it goes fairly extensively into how the game works. So um, if you're interested in writing games and stuff, you can actually go through and read this article and uh, look at the game listing and figure out what they were doing while they were doing it. So it's a nice little article for that. It doesn't really give any rating of the game, of course, because it was actually made by that or it was uh, this is the first time it uh, showed up in in um, Rainbow. So. And yeah, I couldn't find any actual reviews of the game. So it was a fairly difficult game, I guess. Um, I guess uh, we were talking about it. The con- control structure of the game was a little hard. The guy moved a little fast in the game. But actually, for a type in game, it's quite good. And it had 50 levels which I don't think most of us got to see past level two. I think I made level three in one of my games. Oh, did you? I never made it past level two, so. But I have here, um, as soon as I find it, 
Buck Owens made it to seven. I have a video here by Buck Owens. <laughs> and uh, so this is level two. And if you go through this, uh, switch over to level three, and you can see it's got elevators, so it's definitely got some Donkey Kong inspiration here. And uh, jump forward some more. Level four, it's got the floating, I don't Platform. know what you would call those, platforms. I guess that, that would be um, kind of some inspiration of many different games. And uh, yeah, and then I guess this is level five, which is just has way more stuff to do and more bad guys on it. Let's see. Hmm. Level six introduces you to some new bad guys. They just jump down like that. Makes it look so simple and easy. <laughs> yeah, that's just watching Buck play because, well, he's AI, so <laughs> he's very good at doing that. You remember how far Tasman got? I think he got pretty far too because his score is pretty close to Buck's. Um, no, I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure how far Tasman got. Um, let's see, oops, there should be a level seven here. I think didn't he? Yeah, so level seven is just more of the stuff. And one of the things that this game also would allow oh, you get a monster do... doesn't freeze now on this one though. Yeah, Very and good. that one can also uh, go up and down the ladders and jump over the uh, the the gaps. So. Just in case the game's not hard enough. Yeah. So that's exactly <laughs> that's Buck Owens managed to get seven levels, and there are fifty in this game. So and you can make your own if you read the article in Rainbow. Yeah, so. you can make your own. It's that's one of the things that it uh, goes into in depth in the article is how to what uh how to make your own levels, and they go in to show you exactly how in their listing it makes the level so you can figure out how to make your own. And I vote that we get somebody to write a whole bunch of really easy levels. <laughs> there you go. So I have a feeling of accomplishment for a change in this game. 25 really easy levels where there's one thing to get and only one bad guy, and he's on the complete opposite side of the screen <laughs> yeah, and can't no. get to you. <laughs> no, 50 golds, one bad guy, and it's super easy to get it. But uh, yeah, actually, for a type-in game, there is a lot of content there, and I'd be interested to know if anybody in the past has ever made it like through all fifty screens. You didn't get a chance to check to see if any of the rainbow scoreboards had people scoring the game, as you can see ah, how far they might got. There, now that's something I forgot to do. Wow. I'll I'll report back later if I find anything. But oh, I did look up in Rainbow, and there was. Uh, I I couldn't find any listings of anything. I looked on a couple of things. I couldn't find anything, but I could look a little more extensively, I guess. Yeah, because I, I know as far as reviews go, unless you caught it in a different magazine or a newsletter or something, you probably wouldn't because Rainbow didn't really review their own stuff. Yeah. But you would see that some of their games appear in the scoreboard, which is why I was kind of curious if maybe 
I'll, I'll have a look after we get done here and see if I can find anything and I'll report back by the end of the show. I think one of the things that um, is uh, not I don't like about the game is it has what I call it suffers from rupertitis, which is basically the same problem I had when I did my Rupert Rhythm and that the game requires you to stop and wait for the enemies to be in a certain position before you can safely um, um, uh, continue. And for, you know, for a lot of people, they just don't want to sit there, you know, just doing nothing, waiting for it. And sometimes you have to wait a fair, fair while for things to fall into um, place so that you can safely um, get past. So that is a, a bit of a dead space in the game. And that's what I suffered in my Rupert Rhythm, and this one has the same disease. I didn't. I didn't really mind that actually. The fact that there was no timer and you could wait for your opportunities was. Oh, yeah, well, that I was the patience thing, though, because in like in Nick's yeah, case, if you had a really long elevator and they go pretty slow, and you're waiting and waiting, and it slowly come up, stops at the platform below goes up another little bit, stops the platform. Anyway, you got that stupid wait. silver ball coming after you and you can't move. Well, that's Rupert Rhythm, but, um, yeah. 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 It's just all that really long waiting. And, it, you know, if you're after a really fast action game, yeah, no, that's not, <laughs> this isn't it. It's a combination of a fast action game and something you have to think about, see the patterns and figure out how yeah. you're going to get stuff. And yeah, Excitement of a red light. Like, Nick, yeah. I know we've talked about it before. Like, one thing you would probably do if you ever did redo Rupert Rhythm is instead of elevators following the set pattern going between every platform they connect with, they would come towards the player. So the players higher up on the screen, they would go up uh, and maybe, yeah. you know, bounce back and forth between the two higher ones. And if the player goes lower, then it would start going down. So at least it would cut down the time waiting for it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I call Rupertitis. And you fix that in Zero Hour, which is kind of a sequel to Rupert Rhythm, isn't it? It sort of is, yeah. So I did improve it. It's not a, a complete fix, but uh, yeah, I do speed it up. I've designed it so I designed it so that the the platforms or the elevators didn't have to go as far in most scenes. And in the very first um, level zero stage, the um, the uh, elevators don't stop at every level. They come more directly for you, so you don't have to wait as long. But yeah, little tweaks like that, and that's what this game also suffers from the fact that you've got to be patient. And uh, yeah, who has that? Yeah, <laughs> especially in modern days. Yeah. See, that's why it's fun. You stick it in front of a kid that's uh, used to the games nowadays and they get frustrated and get killed really fast and because they have no patience. And then you win. Yep. And it gives us, gives us old farts a chance to actually beat them in a video game. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Frederick here, just uh, before you get back in the game on challenge results and stuff in the live stream, uh, did you find any fake chips? Nope, uh, I didn't try with the um, acetone though, but uh, they seem to be legit. Most of them have that indentation in them, so it's not just a print. It's really uh, it actually is lasered. Laser yeah, edge. exactly. 
Cool. Okay. So, and then a quick check in with Bob here because I saw you pointing yes. at things. Yeah. So is my mic working? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So yeah, is what I found when I plugged into the GBS eighty two hundred, it actually uh like I've got a green bar on the screen, a solid black screen, but with a green bar on its side. So it's doing something. I am getting um clock signals. Let's see. You see the scope there. Let me turn this thing on. Oh, I was going to hook up. One of these guys. Start box. But I guess I can't get sync if I don't have a composite signal either. So oh, no, you wouldn't. You'd have to, you needed like a true RGB analog to pinky, pinky. test that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the GBS 8200 was probably the best bet. It, it didn't come up with a signal, but it didn't do absolutely nothing. So, uh, I guess back to just uh, random probing for the time being. Okay. Well, well, we'll check in with you a little bit later. Alrighty. Good luck. Well, yeah. <clears throat> one question with the 128 installed, did you need those two capacitors? Uh, I'd run it without them. Uh, okay. When I basically did a, uh, I reverted this machine from 512 to 128K when I when my board died. And I got a replacement board. And in the meantime, I never did put those back. And it seemed like it worked okay. Yeah, it's just a little bit of timing. But, you know, even with, even if you, you know, had some timing problems in the RAM, you still get a full screen of something. Right. Okay. Well, again, good luck. It's there okay. somewhere. It's simple. It's yep. just there somewhere. I might even have a bad chip. Not all these chips are brand new. That'll make it hard yeah. to diagnose, though, because you don't know what you're checking for. <laughs> Well, there aren't too many of them, luckily. Yeah. Have it, did you try another gimme chip? Uh, I know the gimme chip is good. It's out of my yeah. 3P. But it's, no. And the ROM chip is also good. The ROM chip right. and the gimme chip are just temporarily out of my working computer. And I have, I do know that those are good, even after I remove them. And yeah, also just... the salt chip, I assume it's good. It's a uh, removed one. That I had converted to DC. Yeah, and if I you've am got getting my proper voltages on the board, five volts and right. So, so enough of the salt chip is working. As long as like all the gate chips are talking, I mean, you'll see a bad gate chip because there'll be dead outputs. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, you got to be really close because the, the the motor clicks, which means you're almost running. You <laughs> And in the chat, that. Ken Racker said it's going to be in the last place you look. Hopefully. Oh, yeah, because you stopped then, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with the last place you look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You keep looking and you're a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> start at the end. Anyway, as we let Bob figure that out here, we'll go back to Ken because Sleepy's not here to talk about the live game stream. Well, there's also another game that we were playing this week, which hmm. was... Um, 
Montezuma's Dungeons. Uh, yes, tomb, which is a uh, clone of Venture, but harder. We but seem harder. to be picking hard yes. games this last while. <laughs> well, this time I've chosen something that's not quite so hard. Anyways, mm. uh, so yeah, that game definitely a little difficult. Um, and unlike Venture, the uh, screen doesn't change when you complete one. Like there's, uh, I think, in Venture, three different levels that all have three different uh, configuration of rooms and stuff. But in this one, it's just the same over and over. Every time you beat it's all just the, the treasures, I think, and the monsters change, or just the treasures, maybe. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I only made it to the second level once. So yeah, I made it to three or four, and I think the treasures change each time. So they do seem to be yeah. how far that goes. I have no idea. But, yeah, um, if you didn't have anything else to play, this would uh, be a pretty different, a pretty decent game. A little difficult. The uh, bad guy that uh, shows up on the screen that you can't kill comes a little too quickly for, yeah. I think. And he moves faster than you, too. Well, it does, in, it does in the regular game, too. Um, and, uh, but one thing that you can do in... Um, in the actual venture game that you can't do in this one is if you shoot the guy that uh, comes after you, he will stop briefly. So it'll give you a chance to escape, but he is faster than you in the original as well, but you can shoot him and he'll pause for a second. Okay. That's, that's a pretty major difference then because that was what usually killed me was him. It's not the regular monsters. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I will show you what we did on Thursday. And uh, if you're listening to the show earlier, you will know that uh, because this coming Thursday is Canadian Thursday, we're not going to have a show. <laughs> uh, so there'll be no live stream this week on Thursday. But um, yeah, we had a bunch of people in. We're all playing... Mostly we played uh, Montezuma's um, Dungeons, but a couple people played Prospector. And uh, yeah, they're both pretty hard games, so I don't know. That's Anybody have any uh, tips or tricks for either game that uh, when they played? Prospector, I think you covered it last week. The biggest thing is hold your joystick diagonal if you want to drop into a hole or go up or down a ladder, etc. Um, yeah. That makes a huge difference. I also didn't realize until I don't know, fairly late in the show here, because I kept making the second level and I was dying a lot. And then I figured out you can jump up to platforms. Yeah. <laughs> if they're diagonally offset. Stupid me. I didn't even try that first. I don't know how many times. It um, took me a while to figure that one out, too. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, as far as uh, Montezuma's dungeons, they the monsters when you're in the outside hall where you can see the six rooms uh, tend to try to follow you as much as they can. So you can kind of yeah. lure them all onto one side and then zip over and have fairly clean getting into and out of rooms here because otherwise you get yourself into a room, you get the treasure, you manage to dodge the monster and come back out and then you're immediately killed because the guy was sitting there waiting for you from where you entered the room in the first place. So. Yeah. If you kind of lead them off to the top or the bottom or the left or the right first, kind of like mosey around, 
uh, that'll give you a, like at least a clear spot to get in and out of the room where you don't have to worry about dying. It's just within the room you have to worry about dying. So that, that helps a fair bit. You do move faster diagonally. So use that to your advantage. And the other thing I think you mentioned too, Ken, is that you can actually not kill all the uh, regular monsters in the room and then you can use them to help block the main monster because he can't go through. Yeah. He has to go wait, wait to go around. So that helps a lot. He'll hit the uh, other monsters and kind of bounce off. So, which gives you not enough a, time to try to get out. Not a great way to get points, but but you can milk them too. I think even Buck had mentioned on one of his streams that you can you can milk the points by going in and out. Yeah, treat shoot just go in, monsters. shoot a couple, leave. As long as you don't get the treasure. Once you've gotten the treasure, you don't get any points for killing the monsters. Yeah, but you can milk it for points that way. I I never play games that way. I, I find that boring. But yeah. That's why Buck always beats me, I guess. <laughs> That's my excuse this week. I guess another thing about uh, Montezuma's Dungeons is try to stay away from being on the very top or the very bottom of the screen because the there is no gap between the monsters to get through. If you get cornered between two monsters on the top or bottom, you're dead. You're just dead. Yeah. Whereas At on least... the left and right side, you got one pixel, and if yeah, he doesn't move over, <laughs> yeah, then you can sneak by him if you're lucky. <laughs> So basically try to stay away from the edges of the screen as much as possible. And you do have those little um, areas you can duck into to try to lure them away to in the middle, et cetera. Yeah. Or even on some of the edges that you can. That's usually the best thing is hang around in one of those open areas in the center of the screen and get as many of them lured over there as you can. And then go to the other side of the screen and start doing the rooms. Yeah. These are two games actually that I will not be working on six or nine speed ups for. <laughs> really i think this prospector would be awesome if it was sped up yeah well you got the double speed poke for that i think you could try that if you want to <laughs> if you're a set of masochist you'd never be able to control the guy <laughs> nope I, I, honestly i mean if i was going to review the games as opposed to just talking about how to play them i would review both of these as there's a great game at the core they both need some tweaking yeah, to make it more. I think uh, Montezuma's Revenge would be better if I'm not sure if you got rid of some of the guys in the hallway. There, there's a few too many of them because it's so easy to get yourself cornered, or have a bit more random as to how they move, so it's not yeah. constantly just honing in on your position. And definitely the witch that comes out to kill you in the room slower. Yeah. Definitely well, that actually you out. pointed out something I'd forgotten about the original arcade game. If you shoot it, it pauses yeah. a bit. Like even that would be enough to at least give you a fighting chance. Yeah. Or a little bit slower, yeah. I like so, the shooting to pause though. That 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 thing's a good mechanic they should have kept. So you're gonna fix that then, Curtis? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you fix it, David? Yeah, David, you, you've Curtis. done some assembly language. Um, I know nothing of what you speak. I'm completely ignorant of the 6809. <laughs> I think Ken said it You're all. Half right. prop, I think Ken said it all. The problem is... <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. So normally we stream Thursdays in the uh, Discord channel, but not this Thursday, unless you just want to show up into the Discord channel and play. Some of us might be there, and but it just won't be a broadcast show. 
So if you're a little shy about even being on the live show, you could show up on Thursday and just play the game or you can actually go in and play the game anytime you want. And I'm sure people will join in. Yep. And you can just come in and trash talk other people too, if you want. So the, the now we've got Montezuma's is actually going to be a three week long game, right? Because of the no. skip date. No, we're only or skipping the game on the live show. Um, Montezuma's Revenge is still going to end on Friday. Thursday? Friday. Or Friday? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure how you're doing that. So we're only going to have one game for the following week then, right? Oh, no. Uh, no. Because you can't I'll announce, announce one next week because there's no show to announce it. Oh. Saturday. I announced the shows on Saturday. The game's on Saturday. Oh, right, right, right. Never mind. I, I need more coffee here. Just go <laughs> are, ahead. Are, are you feeling okay, Curtis? Do we need to send you some help? As a it's... matter of fact, talking about announcing a game, how about I announce one right now? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, get this show back on track here because I just screwed it up. <laughs> yes. Well, there's really going to be no guessing about what game this is because the title is right on the top of the screen. So I'll just show it. Grips it. Glaxotax. <laughs> Group it rhythm. Mouth tutor. Glaxons uh, by Mark Data Products. Came out in 83, if I remember correctly. I remember that. Yep. And uh, Curtis's website is now fixed for this game. Yeah. As I pointed out to him this morning. He had it listed as a Coco 3 only game, but uh, it's actually good for a Coco 1, 2, or 3 with 16K. So, Yeah, you might need 32K on disc, if I remember correctly, but yeah, the original cassette was 16. So, uh, of course, this Now, from is first a... glance, people might think this is just a Galaxians clone, but it's not. There's some differences. Do you know what they are, Ken, or have you tried playing this yet? I've played it a little bit, and we are going to be playing on level 1. Um... It's a fairly hard game, but uh, um, yeah, they'll let people discover the differences as they play them. You're not going to warn them at all, eh? Nope. <laughs> Why would I do that? Where's the fun in that? This is called foreshadowing. Yep. <laughs> we are going to die. <laughs> Just out of quick curiosity here, how many people in the panel and how many people in the chat have actually played this one before? A long, long time ago. Long, yeah, a long time ago. In a universe far, far away. <laughs> I have. And I sucked there too. <laughs> That's a pretty far sucking. Tom Eric Anderson said it was available for the Dragon sold by Microdeal. Sixty says probably briefly, which means I don't think he was too impressed. <laughs> so I guess uh, Sixty kind of gives it away. Don't use an auto fire joystick. It's that it's one of those games where you uh, oh. fire a bullet, and if you shoot again right away, your bullet disappears because there's only like one, one shot done. on the screen at a time. One and done. You, re so. you can retract your shot, basically. It's a yeah. corf style. Oh, so if it's going bad, then you can abort it. Yeah, if, if you're going to completely miss the thing you shoot at, then you can just fire again and it disappears. <laughs> Sixty, whoops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. I just, 
I just wanted people to feel how I felt the first time I played it, where I was sitting there and I was just firing, firing, firing. And I'm like, uh, I'm not hitting, I'm not hitting nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. Another one, though. Movement's a bit different than standard Galaxians, too. Yeah. Yeah. They... Don't say what it is, Kieran. <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> now I'm curious. Now, if I remember, Ken, on the two-player mode of this one, each player can pick their own skill level too. So if you have, yep, you know, that's kids, like if, if your kids want to play it and aren't too good at it, and you want to make it a bit more even, you can actually like play a higher level yourself, and then you'll let your kids play at an easier level. Each player has its own individual skill level. However, about... we are playing on the lowest skill level because it's a fairly difficult game. Uh, yeah, but I mean, about... if you wanted to make it fairer for younger kids, you could do that yeah. too. Nah, you got to give them the harder level so you look better. Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah, I had that backwards. I forgot about the age thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, big game. My son, uh, when he was four or five years old, I networked together Doom when mm. you know we still had XTs and 286s and stuff like that. Was it, no, was it a 386? Doom, probably and, 3 or 486 even. Yeah, 386. Yeah. He, and I, pl I, I played a lot of Doom, and he beat me all the time. <laughs> That's five years old for crying out loud. <laughs> but no, to, to be fair, you know, I was playing facing the wall. He was on the other corner of the wall. And I think he was watching when I was going, you know, when we were by uh, playing in uh, uh, dual mode. Uh, so he probably was cheating a bit, but in essence, beat me all the time. <laughs> probably that's why he's a gamer now. Oh, uh, Bob Emery there. Uh, there's a message for you from Wayne Campbell in the chat here. It says, message for Bob, when I was watching you assemble the board, I distinctly remember you using RCA connectors that weren't the right color. I could be wrong, but you might be trying using the RCA connector on the box to the right of that yellow connector, as I think that is the video output. Does that sound like it's possible? And he, he puts a caveat there that I'm not a hardware tech, so I could be totally wrong. On the standard Coco 3, video is the one closest to the RF can. Which would audio, be all the... Audio oh, yeah. is the one is closest to the reset. Okay. okay. So, yeah. Looking at the back of mine. Bob's got the right colors, though. The Coco Not had candy. the colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, red and white or something, was it? Yeah, whatever yeah. they had in their audio division, that's what they put on the yeah, back left, of the Left the right <laughs> stereo, and now that one's video. There you go. That's right. Yellow is meant to be video. That's the convention, at least. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, was it convention back when the Kogos, Kogos yes, came Yes, so that was always yes, it. It always was, yeah. I think I, I think I got it right. Tandy has a lot of audio connectors. They have a warehouse yeah. full of I, I guess because I'm remembering you know? all the, the earliest machines just had RF. There was there was no color. Oh yeah, there was no it was just, anything. And yeah. yeah, but if you think back to like your VCRs and stuff, they're usually color coded on the back. back the earliest VCRs, I don't think even had composite in, in some cases. Though I remember we had one that was just RF, and that's all you got. My Betamax, our Betamax cable, in yeah. 1982 did. Right? No. Oh, you're advanced. Cool. You're using Betamax, not that VHS crap. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Bandy <laughs> <laughs> were probably just being cheap when they ordered the parts. They ordered the two RCAs and they came as red and, and white because they were meant for audio. Right. So it isn't so Nick Tandy being cheap. What are you talking about? 
Yeah. <laughs> used stuff they had. Yeah. Yeah. If you buy the red and and the white as as audio, it was cheaper than trying to trying to buy well, yellow. Fact, I I believe someone on the show mentioned that they switched between red and white for the video out on Coco's. Um, yeah. By the way, Kevin Holloway is on the panel right now. Says he has to go. So uh, wave goodbye to Ken there. I, I see you were trying to wave to us. Bye, Ken. Good one. All right. Bye, Ken. Kevin. Kev. Oh, did I say Ken? Yep. Oops, I meant Kevin. Sorry. I'm not going anywhere. You can't get rid of me that easy. <laughs> we wanted. We wanted. It to be, <laughs> You're stuck with me. We wanted it to be Ken, but anyway. <laughs> Freudian slip. What can I tell you? <laughs> Hey, Glaxons next week. Next two weeks. Yep. So have fun. Okay. <laughs> Glaxon. Glaxon. It, it might not be as hard as the other games I've been choosing. Ah, <laughs> uh, that one's fairly difficult from what I remember, at least last time I played it. But I'm not very good at that whole Gorf style shooting. I, I suck at all those. So if you're used to it, I guess you'll be you'll, you'll kick my butt. So I'm not going to do a commercial here because I have very few game on or game uh, related stories. I'll just go straight into them. I don't know if you want to play the intro there, Mark. I'll share my screen while we're while I'm checking this here. Whoops. In guys I'm in the right window. Okay, you guys have seen that? Yep. Okay. <clears throat> of course, the first few will be Jim Gary as just about every week there. Uh, but let me go throw the notes over here. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. There we are. No, I guess I didn't. I thought maybe I just didn't hit enter, but I didn't even drag it over there. Thanks for pointing that out, Mark. Okay, so the first one that Jim Gary worked on this past week, yeah, I'm called Shoplifting Boy. I don't even know how to pronounce the Japanese version of it there, so I'm not even going to try. And this is from a Japanese magazine, and it's for the NEC PC 6001, which I believe is the same platform that the game that Alan Murphy is converting over was from, if I remember correctly. Uh, so this was originally in MyCom Basic magazine, their very first issue, actually, from July of 1982. And this is considered <laughs> to be one of the earliest stealth games. Now, Jim has ported this before to the MC-10, but this one he did a couple of revisions over the week to try to get it to play a bit closer to the original NEC version. So I'll play it a little bit here. I did like the animations he did. It's Robin time. So the object in here is you're, you're going between these corridors and you're trying to steal all the money, which is the dollar signs, but trying not to be seen. So you're the one that's going up and down on the left-hand side, and the guard is the other one. And if he catches direct sight of you, he'll come after you. So you're trying to, within a timer, uh, steal everything without getting caught, basically. 
In fact, is is this the same game that Alan Murphy's actually converting to the Coco with graphics? Is that? Does anybody know off the top of the head? Alan Murphy's one is uh, it's like a, a cargo ship, and you have to try to break into the various cells and get the stuff. So I guess similar, but not exactly. Not quite the same then. No. <clears throat> so stealth games apparently was a big thing in Japan in the early eighties. I do like his animations here, though. He's even got like the walking feet and stuff and the arms waving and bending at the elbow all using text characters and semi-graphics that's pretty pretty innovative use of those one of the better ones i've seen and another one he did that on is skiing this is from the same magazine the same issue actually um so it's another japanese port this one here will actually work in 4k so this will even work on a stock mc10 or a stock alice if you have the french clone of the mc10 in, in nice bright red and you have to steer through the flags, you know, scrolling down the screen type thing. And don't hit them like that. But you can see he's even like changing the direction of the feet and stuff, the skis as you move. So it's once again, you're just using text characters and semi graphics, doing a pretty good job of uh, creating a skier that actually looks a bit like a skier instead of just a square block like I probably would have done. And then the other one he did here is um, Football Manager. Now, this is actually converted from a dragon game because uh, that was a fairly popular genre, I think, for a lot of the UK computers back then. People in the chat from the UK can you know correct me either way or not. But I, I think I remember seeing quite a few of them advertised for Spectrums and BBC Micros and stuff, and they're kind of like management-style games. So this is when he converted from the dragon to the MC-10, originally written by Kevin Toms in 1982. Seven skill levels. And it's all text-based, so it's basically like a lot of the prickly pair games where you're kind of doing management-style stuff here. It's, it's not an arcade game. It's not a simulation or anything like that. Well, kind of a simulation, I guess. So fast forward a little bit to kind of see what you're here. You're going through your roster. You're finding out which players are injured, etc. And that value is their salaries. I, I sure hope they're getting paid better nowadays because I know what you know North American sports people make for wages these days. And you need a few other zeros added on to the money values there. So that's the ones that Jim cranked out. And then uh, uh, chronologically, gaming is now covering the rest of August 1982, which is basically anything that was not have a specific release date, and it's basically an alphabetical list of all of those. So we've covered quite a few, and there's a couple of pretty big ones on, you know, on Ataris and stuff here too, but there's also a fair number of Coco and a couple of Dragon ones too. So the first one I was going to play a little clip here. like he's Basically, the ones he got covered this week, he covered Alcatraz 2 for the Dragon, which is a Coco conversion. Pretty well dead the same. Black Sanctum and Clicks to Island, the text adventures, basically the exact same. I think the splash screen's a little bit different. Um, then he did Escape, which is a 3D Ken Kalish, one of his first games actually for the Coco, and quite a hard one. It's kind of an adventure 3D maze game. Uh, so that's another Coco version. Then he did Flag, uh, which is actually a dragon original from dragon data themselves. It's written in basic. So it's uh capture the flag type thing against a computer player written in basic, uh, but not too bad. And then on 
the last one he just did, he did cover Gangbusters, which I'll show a little bit of here for those who haven't seen that game. <clears throat> and this was almost a simultaneous release. And now this Prickly Pear actually did do some cross-platform, and this is one of the games they did do cross-platform. So there's another brand new machine out around this time of August 82, the Sonic Commodore 64, and they did a version of Gangbusters for that. I was just going to ask you, because this is a game that a few of my friends and I used to play a fair bit, especially if we're having a little bit of a party and you just wanted kind of some distraction in the background, because you take turns. Um, unlike, say, Viking or some of the other ones here, you can actually attack other players here once you get leveled up enough, which made this game much more interesting and uh, you know, almost broke out in fistfights, depending on how things went. But I was wondering, has anybody else on the panel or in the chat actually ever played Gangbusters? And I'll play a little bit of the video while you are answering. Nope. We're now on the TRS-80 Color Computer, and this is Gangbusters. Let's take a look at Gangbusters. All we got is an ad that you would have seen by Prickly Pear Software. If you ever wanted to try a life or crime, this requires is at least two human players, but up to six using brains and a little muscle. You can rise to become a hood runner, bookie, torpedo. Fin- Basically, it's one of the first games where you're actually playing the bad guys here because you're mobsters and you're trying to rise up through the mob to become the kingpin of the entire city you're in. And you have to skim uh, profits from like unions and uh, you, you can take contracts out of each other, steal each other's limos that are bulletproof and all kinds of stuff that you can get into. He doesn't get into all that in here, but uh it's a standard prickly pear style. You've got the uh, you know you've got two players in this particular example here. This is how much you made from your uh, union skimming, your bootleg booze operations, and your houses of ill repute. And then you've got people like the juice man in there, where you can actually you know borrow money, but he'll charge you like extravagant interest rates. And if you start borrowing a bit too much, he might take a contract out on you too. You can bribe judges here to get your sheet pulled. You can actually get let out of jail early if you can bribe the judge enough. So there's a lot of interesting facets to it, but it's one of the first games on on computers. There's a couple before this, but the first ones, one of the first ones that you would play the bad guy on purpose, which actually I think makes it a bit more fun. This guy went on to form Rockstar Games, right? Uh, And all of that. No, I'm I'm joking. (laughs) What it sounds like. But also, <clears throat> this is one of the first ones Prickly Pear actually released for the Commodore 64. So this is what the Commodore 64 version looks like. <clears throat> and one thing I found kind of neat is the borders they did, they kind of duplicated the semi-graphics from the Coco. Like verbatim, they created the little checkerboard two-by-two you know, graphic characters because, of course, the C64 had redefinable graphics so they could match the font that the semi-graphics on the Coco was doing. The only real difference here is that you've got a wider, taller screen. you got 40 by 24. Is that right on the Commodore, Ken? Or anybody yeah, else? Yeah, that's right. So there's that little bit I more room, so. but yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it was interesting seeing like how the two compared to each other and released almost simultaneously. This particular episode, they also covered uh, Haunted House, which is a Haunted House game, but it was a kid's version. So Artvark normally did quote unquote adult. They're not really adult. They're just, you know, I wouldn't even quite say mature you know, audiences recommended or anything. But this one was designed specifically to be for younger kids. So the vocabulary is a bit more restricted, et cetera. And it's an easier game. Unfortunately, like even to move like north, you had to type go north. You couldn't do the shortcuts. So I guess it was also a forced typing tutor at the same time. Um, and that was going to show a little bit of the capture the flag one from the dragon here. It looks like I forgot to load that window. So let's do it right now. And we'll probably get an ad from YouTube. Just to catch up on the chat here. <clears throat> I like 60's comment when I was asking about the the, the sports management uh, games because that's bafflingly popular here. Yes. 
So apparently he he's not a sports guy. It's sports ball to him, just the same as it was to me. Um, Spenny108 also says soccer management games are still popular in the UK. So let's go to the correct link here. Play, I think. So it's you versus the computer here. You're moving in real time with a joystick. You have to move across the blue blocking squares, which just randomly a few of them will shift every round. And then you have question mark squares, which you don't know what the heck they're. And you're kind of racing against each other to get to the flag first. Not a bad little basic game. For, it was basically a launch title from Dragon Data themselves, and it was not a Cocoa port. It was one of the first ones they actually did on their own. And then, you know, within a year or two, you know, after getting a lot of rebranded Cocoa games, they started doing a lot of their own stuff, including machine language, so it was getting quite decent. And that's it for the game on news, so that's a that's a quickie. Uh, there's more Cocoa games coming up on Chronological Gaming this week, so I'll just mention that. One of my all-time favorites will be on there, which is Phantom Slayer. I'd like to, I'm interested to see what he thinks about that one. And now you can do a commercial break, and we'll come back with the news, the regular news. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Aaron of The Coco Show. And you're watching or listening to The Coco Nation, the live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its cousins. All hail The Coco Nation. Om. 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 In a world where RGB produces black and white video. One cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com G'day from the land down under where toilets flush backwards and thongs are a respectable form of casual footwear. I am Nick Morentes and I have been developing games for the Coco for over 35 years. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the interactive live video talk show for all enthusiasts of the Coco family of computers. Curtis Boyle. I'm Ken Waters of Canadian Retro Things, and you're watching the Coco Nation Show. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. When you want the latest in TRS-80, 
Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins. No matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation, the Coco Nation News, with L. Curtis Boyle. <laughs> oh, that's it. End of the show. Creepy David is creepy. That's all I got to say. You brought, probably the, the general stream didn't hear that either. I'm guessing. Right, Mark? B? Uh, no, not while the intro is playing. Okay. Thank God. <clears throat> <laughs> okay. So news-wise, we actually do have a fair number of things to cover here. So uh, first of all, George Jansen, we mentioned, is uh, kind of starting up his assimilating tutorial as a series on YouTube again. And... Uh, I can't remember if we covered this one last week or not, but in case we haven't, I'll just mention it again here. Um, he's getting back. He did kind of a, a reboot of his original series that he did with us, mentioning that he's going to be teaching a simulated programming on the Coco. So his first uh, episode, other than the intro episode, was actually going through sprite display comparisons. And uh, he's going Pixies. through various ones by Glenn Hewlett and others. So, sorry? Pixies. And <laughs> I'm not calling it that. Um, <laughs> Let the wars begin. <laughs> you can't retroactively change 30 years of what everybody called it. So anyway, he went through and uh, he compared to like some articles that Glenn Hewlett had done, um, ones that uh, Paul Thayer and Paul Fiscarelli talked about on the Coco Tech show two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. <clears throat> and then it does demonstrate some slower but more generic uh you know, versions that he's done as well. So you can go check that out. I think I did cover this briefly next week, so I'll just kind of skim over it quick here. But anyway, that would become kind of an insert episode that wasn't originally planned to be part of the series, but he kind of threw that up because he got curious about it. <clears throat> but now he's actually added in the first official beginner. So it's just kind of like rewinding to the beginning type thing. And um, I'll just play a little clip of the beginning to so kind of get an idea where he's going with this there. So... Mm, Are you supposed to be playing something? Oh, is it not, not even, playing? You're not even no. sharing a screen. No clip. Oh. Well, duh. I'm batting a thousand this week. This fire, rearm. <laughs> Let's play it's Mark. Playing flying here. I don't know what's wrong with your guys' stuff. Oh, but... Mark, you're doing the dual highlight thing. Um. Yeah, but uh, if Curtis shares a screen, we should still see it. Oh, well... No, we're going to blame it on Mark anyway. Yeah, let's blame Mark. What the heck? He's easy. <laughs> hey, you guys seeing it now? Yeah. Okay. Let me know if you're hearing it as well. Nope. Okay. Yep. Not hearing anything. Started again. I know Are in you the now? Video, so we was going to work now, 128 yeah. stars moving across the screen randomly. Well, no stars, not yet. I started that video and I kept going and going and going and trying to work for beginners. I kept having to regress back into MMRs and palettes and attributes and strobing keyboards and that. And I thought, wait a minute, 
I'm going to get everybody totally confused, especially if you're a beginner. And the main goal is to bring new beginners in to assembly language for the color computer. It's not to scare them off. So I think we're going to start again. Step back, very beginning, and just bring it forward. If you're experienced on computers, you can just skip this and delete it and go on and do something else. But for beginner beginners, let's just kind of move forward and see where we get. Okay, begin again. It would be easier if I knew what the audience was. Are we dealing with first-time-ever people? Anyway, <clears throat> just that kind of covers what this first episode is about. We're just kind of just going through the, the basics of assembly language, etc. And uh, actually, in the chat here, uh, kind of timely, is uh, Fred Provencia, who's been working on his uh, Coco 3 game that's been on hold for like three decades, I think. <laughs> and Dark 3, is it what it's called? I don't remember the name of it correctly here, but he did his very first machine language routine himself with uh, some help from people in the chat. So that's another resource besides uh, George's series that he's going to be doing here. And George is also on our Discord too, so you can probably still ask him questions there as well. But uh, Frank, uh, or, or sorry, Fred got a fair bit of help from people in, in the chat of, of various people. I think uh, William Astle was one of them. I think Dave Veery was helping out as well. Uh, you know, just trying to accelerate some of his basic program with some little machine language opportunity, which is how I first learned assembly language too. I did the same thing. I wrote the you know, main game in basic and I had one routine to speed up one critical thing. And I think that's one of the easiest ways to do it because it gives you the best bang for buck. You feel like you really accomplished something when you, you see something scrolling or whatever, whatever you're accelerating. But yeah, definitely check out a series. He's, as he mentioned before, it's not on a fixed schedule. It'll just be when he gets time to do them type thing and, and gets enough, you know, done of an episode to make a full episode. But uh, he definitely knows his stuff. He's been doing assembly language since the late sixties on mainframes and stuff. So. And he's done Cocoa stuff like he did the pack utility for OS9 back in the 80s uh, that I used quite a bit, actually, back in the day. So he definitely knows this stuff. Uh, Tier City Retro Programming on YouTube has also put up another video of his Tales of Suburbia game project. This time he's talking about placing the rocket in the launcher. So he's been kind of like going through how he's how he builds up the game as he goes here. And the ultimate goal of the game, I believe, is to get this rocket launch. And it's kind of a graphical adventure game with some arcade elements to it. And basically, uh, it's Tales of Suburbia. So you're in Suburbia and you're just doing regular life things. But you're a kid who's trying to get his model model rocket launched. So he's just working on the final scenes here for when you win the game. And it's a multi-part. He's, he's basing it on tape, really going old school here. So he's got, I think, four parts that you can go through and you have to solve the first part, then go on to the second part. You can save game states with each of the parts and stuff too. I won't play any of the example here, but uh, this 20 minute long video, but you can see a screenshot there for the audio listeners. It's kind of a, a grass background with some colored trees and then a launch pad with a little model rocket and your little characters right over there. You know, it's just put the rocket on the launch pad. Next up, we've got Ken. He's got a little bit of a tutorial video, which I'll mute here if you want to just describe what your video is about. Um, it's making your Coco 3 have all kinds of pretty colors. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, like your shirt? It, exactly. You could make your Coco 3 look just like my shirt. I think we need a much colors. wider palette gamut for that, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's just uh, going through how to use the palette command to change the uh, screen and the, the foreground and background colors. And then um, going and uh, how to actually change the palettes in some games. Now I did mess up, and I do have a note in the uh, instructions on the or in the uh, description 
that uh, on some games, the uh, pallets are at uh, four through seven, whereas I just talk about the ones that are zero through three. So, yeah, the two color sets. Yeah. I, I think this is one of the unsung advantages that the Coco 3 as an upgrade had over some of the other machines when they got their upgrades, um, especially in the 8-bit era. Because when you got a Coco 3, it was like 98% backwards compatible with existing games. And in fact, you can raise that a bit. There's a few tricks that, with the gaming we've discovered to get semi-graphics games at least partly working. And and Dick uses that. Um, he programs them newly now so they work fine on both systems. But you can actually play some of the stuff. Like the original Neutroid, you could actually try playing uh, with the uh, some of the tricks on the gimme. But one of the nice things was when you got a Coco 3 out of the box, it's almost like you got new versions and upgraded versions of games if you knew tricks like this. Because if you were saying, like, we were playing Lunar Rover Patrol recently on the game on Challenge, and the colors, I mean, they pick what they could pick from, right? You know, they picked the yeah. green, yellow, red, blue, which doesn't look very moonish <laughs> or lunarish play-wise, but you can actually change palettes. And the nice thing about the Coco 3 is that you can change the palettes on the existing Coco 1 and 2 games, whether it's P-Mode 3 games or semi-graphics games or whatever. And in fact, on Composite, you can even change the artifacting ones too. Um, but it allows you to upgrade the game to look better, even though it's the same resolution. It's like Puyan, Nick and I had experimented a while ago, and we actually got it pretty close to the arcade. Um, could have got it even closer, but some of the colors have been swapped. Uh, you also have the option if games were too slow, you can do the double speed poke because all Coco 3s are guaranteed to run at 1.78 megahertz RAM and ROM. Well, I guess the ROM's not enabled technically, but so you got a way to speed up existing games if they could use this speed up. You got a way to change the colors and display colors of the way the games look, even text games like you're seeing on the screen now. He's got white on black text. You can simulate an amber monitor, green screen monitor, et cetera. And of course, those work on the new Coco 3 modes too, as Ken demonstrates a bit later in the video covering the 40 and 80 columns, which is different palette settings. But uh, it was like free upgrades for a bunch of things because you could check, change the colors of the game so they look better. You could change the speed if the game was a bit too slow, like stuff like uh, Color Car Action or Marble Madness and that kind of stuff. And uh, it was like a free upgrade to your existing library as well as, you know, you could start programming for the Coco 3 specifically. And I that was one nice thing that I don't think a lot of the other machines did. Usually if they had some new modes, it was only the new modes you can take advantage of. Whatever extra hardware they did in their upgrade well. We got to upgrade our existing stuff. I'm I'm trying to think like Mark Overhoser or others here that are much more cross-platform um, familiar than I am. Did any of the Apples or Commodores and stuff actually let you upgrade your existing games basically for free? Um, upgrade them as in uh, you could get like and mental enhancing the visuals and, and uh, running them faster if they're too slow that kind of thing. Uh, no, not really. I mean, there were, there were add-on hardware for the Commodore and the Apple would speed stuff up. Uh, there was extra different CPUs you could throw in the Apple to increase the speed. And there was something uh, for the Commodore. I have one. It's called, a what is it? I can't remember what it's called. Some box plugs in and it runs at a faster rate. So, I mean, it'll run your software faster in a lot of cases, but I'm sure it has limitations, but. And then Ken, from your experience, like with Ataris and um not really i mean you can do this basic stuff of changing the screen color on certainly on the commodores with a few different pokes but uh now would that work like if you were trying to you know change an, a, a game don't think you can do it right in a game not that i know of but i don't know that much about commodore programming 
I don't think the uh, Commodore 64 or the uh, Atari 800s ever got an upgraded version of that hardware. Like, I mean, Commodore 64, there was the Commodore 128, but the 128 in Commodore 64 mode was exactly the same. They didn't really upgrade mm. it. Whereas on the Coco, we had the Coco 1 and 2, but when the Coco 3 came out, it was really a, an upgrade of the Coco 1 and 2. It it, it, it was Coco 1 and 2 plus extras. Yeah, you, and, and you, some of those extras applied back to the Coco 1 and 2 software. That's right. They worked that's backwards That's what a lot of well. other machines did not do, whereas except for maybe like speed. Yeah. Well, whereas there isn't there isn't a Commodore sixty four plus, well, not officially anyway. Um, there there isn't a, an Atari eight hundred plus. You know that the upgrades they did there were you know with the Atari were just extra RAM, but that nothing nothing with the video or, or the as Apple. Such. The Apple did have extra video modes. It's like the original Apple II, the original original Apple II only had four colors, black, white, and the green and purple. And then the modified version, the Rev1 board of the Apple II had two additional colors, blue and orange. And then all the way through the Apple II Plus, that was pretty much what they had. And then, well, that was for high res. Low res had 16 colors. Uh, when they got to the Apple IIe, then uh, there were ability, not the, again, the original Apple IIe, but the Rev B board of that, which came out only months after it was released, had what they called double extended graphics. And so they used extra memory and they had 16 colors in high res. So at that point, you had the original low res, the original high res, and then the double high res. And then when you get to the Apple II GS, not only did you get better graphics modes yet, you and I guess the processor ran at 2.67 megahertz or something like that. Um, you also had uh, the um, Sonic sound chip. So for the Apple II, yeah, there there were different models that had extra features. So in the in the GS mainly. Yeah, the GS mainly. GS was a yeah. real big leap. So yeah. But even the G well, the GS, I guess you could increase the CPU speed and play an old game, like if you wanted to speed up. Yeah. Yeah. Something almost, so that well, that just was like qualified. using the speed poke and the uh yeah. Cool. Yeah. So they had the equivalent of that, but I don't think you could actually affect the palettes of an existing game if you thought the colors should be a little bit different or better. Um, yeah, I don't think that because the video chip was, uh, the video is, uh, all memory based. It's not so much, you know, uh, chip based. So yeah, it's hard to, you know, like move to the palette hacks we do on the games on the Coco now. Yeah. Cause I, I, I could remember if the two GS actually had palettes, like that you could reset yeah. the pedal. I thought it did. I thought it did. Yeah. yeah. I think it does. That's right. You have like 64 colors. You can pick 16 out of the 64 and the, the double extended graphics might have that too. I haven't really played with them that much on the Apple. Yeah, because the C64, I don't believe, had PAL registers. I think you had a fixed 16-color PAL that you could yeah, choose Yeah, it was from. fixed, yeah, all the way. Mm. Unless you went to the unreleased Commodore 65, but that wasn't released. Yeah, and the Commodore 128 added like 80 columns, and it added a Z80, didn't it? They could run yeah, CPM. I don't think they added colors, though. I think the colors no, were still the same. No, I, mean, I just... It, it, Sorry, good. Those those extra CPUs were all almost like a, a separate computer. That I don't think they, right. yeah, yeah, they weren't really part of the one design. Whereas the Coco Three, I think, was a good upgrade of the one and two. It was very smart. Yeah, because it, it gave you upgrades to your existing stuff, and it was just like uh, the other thing. Tandy did smart, and you won't hear me say that too much about Tandy's, you know. <laughs> 
commercialism. But one thing they did start doing too was releasing cartridges with fat binaries, would have a Cocoa 1, 2 version plus a Cocoa 3 version with enhanced graphics or sound or whatever. And they did this with stuff like uh, Arkanoid and Tetris and Sokoban and a few others. Um, so if you add a Cocoa 1 and 2, you buy that game, you play it, you like it, and then you upgrade to Cocoa 3 a year later, you don't have to rebuy the cartridge. You plugged it in, all of a sudden you got a 16-color version of the game. And that was another nice little uh, up, free upgrade feature. So that was actually one of the few times I would give them credit for really looking out for the consumer, really, because you would get well, you know well, bonus upgraded games. You could upgrade the games you already had with these color hacks and double speed, et cetera. So it was like you got a lot of value for your $199 or whatever it cost for the or $219, I guess, for the initial launch of the Google 3. Well, when they designed the gimme chip, the gimme chip, you know, provided all these extra colors and resolutions, but the gimme chip also essentially uh emulated or or also included uh, the ability to act like a 6847 VDG and a SAM chip. Yeah. You know, the, the gimmick oh. chip was a, a new version of those plus extra. Yeah. And memory management. And it was quite a quite a good upgrade, really. It was very well yeah. done. And, and very and, well uh, done for the backwards compatibility. And, 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 and to be backwards. Yeah. 100% hardware compatible with Pretty well, almost, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's something we undersell as as Coco owners. I, I think that's that's not that common that that happened. I mean, yeah. when you go to the PC line, of course, you upgrade two eighty six to three eighty six. You play the old games; they can run faster unless they're frame locked type thing. So you did get speed upgrades, but I think some of this other stuff. I guess technically, if you you can still run like an old EGA game or a CJ game on a VGA card type thing, so I guess they did do the backwards compatibility there. So I think the PC. And maybe the two GS is uh, the only other machines I can think of besides the Cocoa. Well, I guess the Mac, I guess, kind of did that too later on too when they switched color. But I think that's the but only the, machines I can think of that really happened. In the small 8-bit computers, yeah, it's not, yeah. not too many. That's a, that's a feather in a cap for Tandy that, you know, sometimes I, I myself don't even think about it. But actually, they did pretty good. They did a pretty friendly upgrade, I would say. I didn't yeah. have to buy anything new when I put my Cocoa 3 in. Yep. It just worked. <laughs> All the yeah. all my disk drives and printers and peripherals and accessories and even the tape thing still just work. Yeah, that's right. And software, except for some 64k programs that use that vector page RAM, which they didn't know existed before that because it didn't. Anything 32k and less pretty well worked. And some of the 64k ones that they didn't use that last 256 bytes, they worked too. And then you know some other programs oh, right. got patched pretty quickly. But anyway, yeah, if you want to see some of the, the palette tricks you can do on the existing Cocoa 1 and 2 modes and even some of the Cocoa 3 modes here for like text, et cetera, so you can pick whatever simulation of a type of monitor you wanted from back in the day. Or if you just want a color palette that just looks better to your eyes, then uh, definitely check out Ken's video here. He's got uh, examples for 4080 column, 32 column, color set zero, and his little note added on for color set one for changing existing P mode three and one games as well. You can even change the set reset graphic colors for the you know, the low-res graphics that you ran on a 4K or 16K Cocoa as well. So, Except for his shirt. That's not too good for my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to flare up the color. He's got a few other, other colors hidden in there to see, for you to see there, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, next up, uh, Jack Chadwick, who did the uh, two survey polls on the Facebook Coco group recently. One was, what was your best slash favorite game for the Coco 1-2 and then the Coco 3? And then what was the worst? Is doing a new poll this week. And he's got the same subdivision between Coco 1 and 2 and Coco 3, except he's taking a bit of a different tack this time. He says, this week I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite game music-wise for the Coco 1, 2, and the Coco 3? Um, and you can do this for you know music in-game or music for introductions or you know whatever. It doesn't have to be throughout the game, basically. And uh, he picked Rupert Rhythm. He seems to be a real Nick fan because he was just harping on you know some of <laughs> Nick's older games too here. And he really likes yeah. Rupert Rhythm, which is you know Nick's least favorite game. And then for the Coco 1 2, he picked Sea Dragon. I have to send him another check, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so before I go into the comments and see what some of the other people responded here, I was going to do a survey of the panel and of the chat if you're in there and want to pipe it in there too. What game do you think on the Coco 1 and 2 and what game on the Coco 3 do you think had the best music as far as you're concerned? Whether it was intro music, dying music, uh, in-game you know, music. There's not too many of those in the Coco 1 and 2. There's a fair number in the Coco 3. Uh on the panel first, I guess. What 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 did you guys what do you guys think? Nick, seriously, a keytar? <laughs> <laughs> I um I put a message in there saying, uh, oh, what about my um um jumping Joey? That's a Coco one and two in-game music, two channel. Yeah. With envelope, and there's not a ton of in-game music on Coco One and Two games. I'm trying no. to think, like Grabber, Crazy Painter, like Cornsoft slash uh, Computer Shock slash Mictron. Um, Jump and Joey, so that's three. This is oh, um, Cuthbert goes Walkabout. That's another one. Yeah, there's not not a ton that do in-game while you play music unless you have sound speech back then you can include a bunch like you know pitfall too etc but uh ken i've what what's your favorite for music since you're you're a, a bit of a game player yourself um jeez maybe just no. like you like the theme music or whatever too it doesn't have to be i've always liked the beginning of sea dragon <laughs> okay so that's that's one of your votes then the shanty music. Yeah, I like the welcome board captain. I like the fact that he taps his foot while the music's playing too. It's kind of animated yeah. and plays his accordion. And now on the Coco 3, what's what what do you think has the best music on the Coco 3? Please don't say Rupert Rhythm. Um <laughs> I, I'm gonna say uh zero hour whenever he's uh falling and uh um, when he dies and it goes, oh, or goes really. <laughs> it's not really that's music, not, but that's not. Yeah, music. actually, we should ask Jack. Do you do you include like you include really good sound speech chips. and sound effects as uh, music? But Gunstar with the MP3 card that unreleased. Yeah, or even the Arc ninety one. Okay, while you guys are thinking, because apparently you're slow on this, uh, I'm going to go back to the chat. Here sleeping. It's not like we're there's sleeping. like 600 games to think about and which ones did you like the best for the music? And... Well, there weren't, there weren't that many with music, really. Coco 3 there was a fair bit. Uh, so what we got in the chat so far? 
Um, Fred Bravaja said Super Pitfall was good. Xenix was good, and that played fuller voice music, you know, the entire time at full throttle. Crystal City doesn't have music in the background; it has good sound effects. So I don't know if I want to qualify. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dave says Space Pirate Kimiko had the best music. Smiley face. <laughs> Uh, I think that pretty well required the hardware card, though, doesn't it? Uh, Fred Provanja, Pack Dude. I'm assuming it means Pack Dude 3D Monster Maze, because that did, too. That had uh, several different tracks, depending on whether you had the Energizer enabled or not. And that's with you know full four-way hardware scrolling on top of it. That was a pretty good one. Uh, Fred Provanja for the Coca-2, I agree with Sea Dragon. <laughs> Dave says, I also have a keytar. <laughs> <laughs> you poor poor man <laughs> uh karen says i mean from earlier the little intro from lunar rover patrol is in my head again that that is good because it actually it's it's single voice but it's smoothed over it's not like a play command or a sound command it's actually a a decent quality musical tone and it actually plays little blit bits from the actual arcade game just not multi-voice at that point um dave's mentioning king's quest three i that had some music in the intro, single voice, but also smoothed over, so that that would qualify. Uh, at least Larry did as well. Um, Sixty says, "I hear Blockdown Cartridge plays some music." Uh, yep, that's that. It does, as does his dungeons. Um, I, I the ones that I would personally add for Coco One and Two. Grab are still my all-time favorite because that's simultaneous along with the gameplay, and it's a unique game. It's not a clone of something, so that one really, I really like that one. Coco Three, my favorite by far, would be Photon because it has numerous, multiple tunes, digitized speech. The game runs dead smooth and fast, and it's another original game. It doesn't exist anywhere else, even though there was a PC clone later on. Um, other ones like Contras, because it actually doesn't use just the four voice music routines we're used to hearing, like from, you know, music or Lara or something like that, but actually has, you know, semi digitized, um, drum effects and stuff playing in it. So that one is really good. And that plays simultaneously while you're playing with multi-channel sound as well, including added sound effects. Um, Stuart Orchard's Return of the Beast on the Coco 1 and 2 has awesome music at the beginning. It's kind of like, I think almost like a SID chip, uh, emulation with three voice, if I remember correctly, during the intro. Fire Force on the Dragon, that's another one that has really good music with sort of Sid-style, you know, uh, percussion effects, et cetera, too, not just uh, musical notes. Uh, the other ones that everybody else has mentioned, I would include in those, too. I'm trying to think Mines. of any others. Sorry? You had good intro. Pipes. My pipes. Pipes. Yeah, Pipes, yeah. That's another one with multi-channel and Coco 1 and 2. Um, I mean, there's some that had good, you know, intro tunes. There was a, some, even some graphical adventure games had four voice music mixed in. Uh, there's even a bit of music in Dallas Quest, including some very <laughs> badly played horn music. <laughs> I one I remember is in the chat. Uh, on the uh, not the chat in the uh, comments here was a uh, draconian they mentioned, which as far as I know is original tunes. Like uh, Mike Huey actually wrote those songs himself, and he had some pretty good intro music there too. So let's go to the chat comments here, or the comments on the uh, post here. Let's go back to all comments. 
So Brian Palmer agreed with Rupert Rhythms. Geez, that's a popular game in Australia, Nick. What, what did you do? Did you put something in the water? <laughs> Some damn keytars, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I will say about Nick's game is that it actually has a concert at the end. Once you assemble all the notes together, it's a percussive concert, but it's a whole song kind of written by him. Uh, but almost nobody's ever seen it because it's too hard and you have to wait too long for elevators. Uh, Sean Wheeler said Draconian for the Coco 2. Uh, there's multiple votes for the Sea uh, Dragon intro stuff, as Ken had mentioned as well. I mentioned Grabber, Fire Force, Return of the Beast, Photon, Contras. Valentine um, Cox says Photon was a great game. I'd love to replay it or get a remake. Uh, Jack Chadwick says he was expecting Grabber to make it into the top. Other people thought that Grabber got too monotonous with the music and they shut it off. It did, yeah. See, I didn't have that problem because Grabber, every time you got to a bonus round or the next different maze, the music changed. So if you were good enough to get past you know level one or two, you'd get different songs <laughs> as you were progressing in the game. Now, if you never got past like the second or third screen, it's the same one all the time. So yeah, I can, can kind of see that. Problem is the song after the first five seconds, it just seemed sounded like the same beat over and over and over. Yeah, it was a repeating theme for each of the each of the tunes. Yeah. Um, music and Robocop. <laughs> I said it's one of the worst because it was kind of like almost sound command style, a little bit better than that, but not by much. And it was just a single voice, really low pitch. <laughs> much better. Repeating. Did Predator. Did Predator have music? I don't know. After my ears started bleeding after playing the game and my eyes started bleeding, I didn't really notice. Uh, here's another one I, I should mention. Um, Mark Maltus mentions uh, Coco 2 Shock Trooper. And that has really good music at the beginning. That's kind of got the V theme, but it's yeah. got a different envelope waveform than most of our four voice music in the Coco 1 2 had. So that yeah. kind of a uh, vibrato effect, too, is pretty cool. That was a good one. I forgot about that one. Zonk's Hand Down, Darren Ottery. That's a good one. That's another rainbow type. And that had really cool. Um, music almost sound effect music combination what i don't know if i'd strictly call it music but it was really cool i'm assuming most of you are familiar with that one uh there's there's nick you know pimping his own games as usual you betcha you can't <laughs> argue quality richard kelly adds the one that uh, i think nick would even agree with sailor man yeah sailor man was good not and i forgot about this one mary and the butterflies which actually had a previous beta version that was Mary and the Bees or something. There's two different versions of it, but basically, yeah, when Mary became active in the, the Coco community after she inherited stuff from her dad after he passed away, um, yeah, he kind of, Roger Taylor made a kind of a tribute game for her. And uh, yeah, that had some good four-voice music. Actually, some of other Roger's uh, games too, like uh, Spider Hype and Spider Hyper, that has four-voice running simultaneously while you're playing. and has a couple different songs in the game from when you finish the game and stuff too. And then Luke Auger, I think, misunderstood the question here because he picked Star Blaze and Speed Racer, and neither of those have music. I think he was just picking his favorite favorite games. Read the manual. <laughs> or the instructions for the chat. Right. And then back to the chat. Um, <clears throat> Brad Walsh says it's not a game, but Color Quaver by Dennis Kitts was awesome. That was a four-voice music editor with waveform editors and stuff, too. Six, you mentioned Super Kid also had pretty decent intro music. Same as Fire Force. So it was using that digitized style, almost Sid Chip style. So you have percussion effects. Also had speech. 
uh, where the guy actually tried to sing. So that's one of the few places with the digitized singing in it on the Coco. Um, confirmation from Dave Veery on Draconian having great intro tunes. Dave also mentions Color Baseball. Dale Lear, of course, put in the uh, the anthem on that one. Done quite well, multi-voice. Um, yeah, multiple votes here for uh, votes for uh, Color Baseball. And one, one thing with uh, a lot of in-game music is uh, it gets to be repetitive while you play. And after a while, you wish you could just shut the damn thing off. So, um, yeah, I mean, you could say that about arcade games and other, you know, Nintendos and stuff too, because I mean, they never, they didn't write like 15 songs that play continuously. They have one 30 second song that repeats. Yeah, yeah. And it depends how good the music is. But like in Jumping Joey, what I did was I played the song uh, once and then I played it repeatedly over, but at half volume. So it didn't. Yeah, and then your sound uh, effects actually stand out more. It's not. Yeah, that's right. So it doesn't, it's not thumping in your head while you're playing. Yeah, that's, and, that, that was a good design you did there, I have to have to admit. Yeah, I'll buy and, you, and you have a, an option to turn it off as well anyway. Yeah. I, I guess I'm, because I did hang out in arcades quite a bit in the late 70s and early 80s. Like you could, like that was the loudest part of the game was if it had music, it was cranked. So you could hear it across the entire arcade and they were just short repeating songs too. Cause that's all you had the memory for back in those days. And I kind of got used to that and it doesn't really bother me that much. There's a few games. If it takes a lot of concentration to play the game, then I'll want to kill the sound just to, so I can concentrate better. But I, it doesn't really bother me much. I mean, once people got Commodore 64s and Atari 8-bits and stuff, they were so used to having background game music. When they came to the Coco, they said, this is awfully quiet. It's just little ticks and bleeps and maybe an explosion or something. And the well, Apple II had the same problem, you know, type thing. When you have a sound chip, the the set, the quality of the sound is better. You can listen to that a bit more repetitive. But uh, if they're just beeps and a bit scratchy, like a lot of them are on the Coco, yeah, you start thinking, oh, I don't want to listen to this. Well, let's take a survey here uh, as well. Now we kind of covered some of the games everybody's mentioned for good music. Um, how many people here prefer to play games, arcade games? arcade style games uh without music to distract you in the background i would rather just have it either sound or just sound effects like shooting etc and how many would prefer having the background music for a theme i prefer so every game should have two volume controls yeah music effects agreed good yeah okay ken agrees with that nick do you agree with that too yeah yeah i prefer sound effects over music but um, if it's music, it's got to be good music. And I do like the idea of having a separate volume on it. Tom Eric Anderson in the chat is saying no music for me at all. So Music's good for the first two minutes and then shut it off. You That's slide right. that slider down. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of like the way that most Coco games that did incorporate, especially Coco 1-2 games that did incorporate music did, they would have it as part of the intro screen or maybe the high score screen or something like that. Where you're you're not doing anything else, you can just sit there and listen to the tunes. Sea Dragon's an excellent version of that because it actually runs through a few things and then talks and then goes back. Has multiple songs that it plays. Um, so I kind of agree with that. You know, I'd rather play the game with sound effects so I can tell what I'm doing. Did I that I hit the button hard enough to actually get the shot off or whatever? Um, and the music I do find distracting. There's a few exceptions. Moon Patrol in the arcade, I that game would suck somewhat if it did not have that music. That just seems so much part of the game to me. It's a requirement. <laughs> if you click on the Jumping Joey link, 
you can see how it should be done. <laughs> Gotta pimp the Nick. You betcha. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll, we'll humor him today. <laughs> this is how it should be done, folks. <laughs> now, since I haven't pre loaded this on YouTube, we may get an ad. So oh, I try to play okay. them for a few seconds each so we at least get the ad warnings out of the way first. Let's see what Curtis is interested you gotta, in. You got to turn off the mute. Yeah. Played by Buck Owens because he can. Sound coming through? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so that's your title, title page of music. Yeah, it's good. When you actual game, when you go into the game. Now, I remember in the game you have one channel for music and one channel for. Uh, effects, no, no, no. Uh, the music can be two channels. The sound effects is a third. Uh, a third channel, you could say. I think one of the tracks is only a one track track. Yeah, I think the first channel, level. Right? This one is a two. But the others are two, or at least they've got a melody and a, a bass line. But the sound effects are a third. A, a third. Uh, well, it's a bit bit of a trick it actually sacrifices one of the music channels to create the sound effect when it needs it and it's done so quickly you, you don't really notice it hey there's a there's our uh, free plug for nick again <laughs> there you go look at that money rolling in <laughs> And a flashback to my elementary school music class where we had to sing all of these songs. <laughs> Fred Provencia says the same thing in the chat that some of the people on the panel have said, which is good sound effects are appreciated, but keep the music to just the intro. Uh, George Cuff says either way for me, so he, he's he's okay with music being throughout the game or just for intros. Mark Overloser says, sorry? Oh, see the letter, little letter M in the bottom of the Jumping Joey screen? That's your music that, on off. Flag. Yeah, yeah. If you press M, it goes red to turn the music off. Mm. The sound effects are still playing, but the music turns off. Score. Yeah. So Mark says sound effects can help with the game. The same music over and over and over and over and over can get too annoying. I agree. Yeah. Uh, that's why I like Grabber and Photon because like on either of those, when you switch levels, the music changes. You might loop back four or five levels later, but at least you have some variety. And so then 60 says much cleaner that. tones than when I play it on my machine. And that's because he has a Dragon 64, which they screwed up the design of the horizontal sync by shutting it off during a vertical refresh. Well, yeah. And then Wayne Campbell says, I've just always had this knack for tuning the music out. I hear it playing, but I'm not focused on it. I guess that's kind of what I got used to, too. But there are times when the, if the music's really overpowering, and this is in arcade games or in other platforms as well, that I do start finding it a distraction. I would rather just have the darn thing off. Okay, now, Nick, you can talk a little bit about this one too, <clears throat> even though it's not directly involving you. But Robert Galt made a surprise announcement this past week on the Coco uh, group on Facebook that Ed Tasm 609, which is the Ed Tasm patch for Coco 380 columns, a bit more RAM, 
609 support, etc., is now free on the archive instead of being a commercial product. And as he put in his post on Facebook, I did not want this very powerful package to be lost, and I have not sold it in years. And he's including versions for emulators and versions for the Becker ports and 80 column and 609, everything else here. So it's now, it's already on the archive. He actually put this announcement up after it got approved. And Nick, you're one of the people I know that uses this the most. Well, um, I bought this ages ago, way back in two or pre 2000. I did, I think my first game was Pac Man. When I did back Pac Man, I, uh, I bought, I bought Ed Tasm 6309 from Robert and I've been using it ever since. So. Maybe I'm I'm the only person that's used it since then. I don't know, but there's a couple of people in the in the comments. I did mention they still use it, and there's a few people that mentioned they bought it and haven't used it in a while, but they they didn't yeah. use it back in the day. Yeah, yeah so. I'm one of those people that bought it then too. It so. Yeah, no, I've been using it ever since. It's it's my well, all uh, your games have been done on it, right? Everything from Pac Man onwards, yeah. Including the one we just pimped out here. That's right. <laughs> By the way, Kieran in the chat is saying "Blockdown," which is his uh, advanced Tetris. Uh, varies the music. Has anybody gotten to the last tune? I did not know that. So no, I have no. Nope. And Dave says this Edtasm is a great way to start. I also bought this. And the fact it supports 6309 as well. So yeah, though it has some quirks. <laughs> it has a few. And there's been a few quirks over the years or even some little bugs. But um, um, Robert Gold, every time I mentioned it to him, he would fix it straight away. So, yeah, he's really good with uh, patching things yeah. as soon as bugs are discovered. So as far as I'm concerned, the version that I've got at the moment that I use, it seems to be bug-free. I mean, everything seems to be working for me. Yep. <clears throat> I'm trying to remember, what was the last bug we found? There was some 639 instruction was wrong or something, wasn't it? Oh, well, he's got a few of those which are different to what you see in certain... Well, he's got the different monomics because of the way the Edtasm assembly yeah, works. Yeah. Like TFRP instead of TFM. Like yeah, instead other of like TFM and all that. I thought, but... I thought within the last couple of years, we actually found a few bugs that he had to fix. Yeah, there were a few, and I've forgotten what they were, but I just mentioned it to him, and he fixed them you know, a day later. He sends yep. me a new version. So so for those of you wanting to learn a semi-language for Disk Basic um, and have a code with three, this is an excellent one because it gives you full 80 columns uh, by 28 lines too, doesn't it? I Yeah, the version I've got. That was actually one of the things I did ask him if he could add because it was uh, 24 and I said, oh, can you make it support 225 scan lines and get the extra lines? And he did. Yep. So, so I don't know. a lot of code the, on the screen ones. Yeah. So I don't know if the, the version he's uploaded is that version, but that's the version he, he made for me a while back. So I'm running a 28-line display. I'd assume it is, but. But anyway, those yeah, who want to follow George Jansen's uh, assembly language tutorial there, because uh, he'll be doing his stuff in Disk Basic as well, then that's perfect. If you wanted to do some of the Chibi Akuma stuff that we mentioned last week, where you just did stuff on how to you know, work with files, et cetera, you can use that assembler too. The whole thing is based on the original Tandy uh, Edtasm, really. So yeah. 
which was originally by Microsoft, the first version. Yeah, that's right. So it's it's basically that with a lot of patches and updates and extra features put in, 609, like I said. Yep, the 80 so, by 28 tech support. That's so it, it, it's a very Cocoa um, development environment, I guess. That's what, that, the other thing why I like about it. It's It feels like I'm programming the Cocoa. As you are. <laughs> That's right. Rather than some IDE on some uh, some uh, 3 gigahertz PC and all that, which makes me feel like, why am I writing this little game on, on a machine that's vastly superior to what I'm doing? <laughs> Whereas at least on the Cocoa, I know that I'm programming a machine on an old 80, 80s computer, and, uh, you know, it to me that's more more wow yeah i mean this 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 is different for everybody because i know some people that absolutely hate going back to the old tools and and you yeah. know they want lw asm that will assemble it and create a disk image and launch an emulator all within two seconds flat um and i do understand that because on a, some very large projects i have done that myself uh you also got the option in emulators you can use the old tools but just overclock it you know like you know shut off any lock to 60 hertz type thing like I do in MAME, for example, when I'm using OS9 assemblers, and then it runs fairly fast. I'm already in the disk image, so I don't have to launch an emulator again because I'm already in it. And of course, if you're doing just quick, dirty stuff on the Cocoa itself, I tend to use you know the assemblers built into the or you know included with the Cocoa stuff too. So it's basically whatever floats your boat. If you want to get into assembly language, I'm, I don't think any of us are going to disparage you from trying any way, shape, or form. If you want to use LWASM or GCC C compilers or CMOCs or whatever cross-platform tools you want to use, or if you want to do native stuff like the C compiler, um, EdTASM, uh, ASM, RMA, there's there's a bunch of options there too. Flex has a couple. I can't remember if Mike used one, he could probably tell us. But uh, there's no wrong way to Cocoa as far as that goes, whatever you're comfortable with. And if you're doing a smaller project, just learning a semi-language, you probably don't need the extra speed of, of running a cross-assemble. You won't be saving that much from running it on a real Cocoa or running it on an emulator. The sign, the sign of a of a good pro, a real programmer, a cocoa programmer, running EdTASM. There you go. That's like having hair on your chest, right? <laughs> <laughs> I still prefer ASM and RMA myself, but <laughs> how much pain can one can one take? RMA. Well, Nick, in case if you want to go really retro, you have to run EdTASM off tape using the cartridge version. In oh, 32 no. columns only. <laughs> I did that on the TOS80 Model 1, and I swore never again. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you first did Neutroid, which is your first Cocoa game, were you running disk EdTASM already at that point? No, it was ta everything I did on the model. No, no, Neutroid on the Cocoa. Oh, Neutroid, yeah, I was on disk then. Oh, okay. Series so in disk EdTASM. Oh, it's when I went from the TRS-80 to the Coco, I, sw I swore that if I'm going to get a Coco, I am not going to use tape. And I just bought a disk drive straight away. So after... you got this jewel here? Um, uh, hang on, I can't quite see. I'm coming. Uh, oh, I'm too little. Here, I'll stop sharing too. Ah, screen moved on me. Oh, oh yes, I've got, I've got that, yes. Yeah, that, that this thing. It's a good little book, that. Oh, yeah. That's the disc version? Or is that the cartridge version? Yeah, no, the, that's, the, that's the disc. The disc. 
Oh, right, the yeah, cartridge was a little cardboard cover, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was yeah, kind of funky. Fun. But yeah, this, <clears throat> this was my introduction to real software. Yeah. So I've got that, and I've got the yeah. Edasm 6309, and the addendum that you can that you get with it. Yeah. A couple more comments in the chat concerning assembler. So uh, Pete, Peter Willard says, right, LWASM is not a bad way to go if you use uh, 68 Dev 09. It even feels like a cocoa. And he says, I pulled my hair out learning with Edtasm. <laughs> uh, Dave says, disk Edtasm 80 column mode works really well. Wayne Campbell says, I would probably be more interested in learning assembly if I could learn it under Nitrous 9. That is a planned Cocoa Tech segment. So uh, keep, keep your ears open. Yeah, and I will try. I won't be using RMA off the of start. I'll probably just using ASM because I want to be able to apply for people that are running on dragons as well as Cocoa ones and twos with OSN level one. So ASM works on all of them. So uh, that's probably what we'll be doing for the first few anyway. Uh, Mikey, oh, I didn't realize Mikey was in the chat. I got discount TASM at the local electronic flea market, <laughs> and my life has never <laughs> been the same since. <laughs> we feel so sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I remember like I don't I don't think I ever had the Edtasm cartridge. A friend of mine did, Dwayne Downing. Uh, but when Roger Schrag published in Rainbow his patches to the cartridge version to get it to run off disk before Tandy released the yeah. disk version, I did use that. Actually, yeah. When I first got my Coco, the Coco two back way back then, eighty four, I I bought the Edtasm ROM pack. Yes, and I tried to do. Well, that's where I started learning 6809 because, I mean, 6809 was new to me. So that's where I started on. But when I'd started developing Neutroid, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd said no, no, no cassettes. So yeah. I went straight to. Um, I mean, just... we had one of the better cassettes out of all the 8 bit machines. 1500 baud was a pretty decent speed. Some it's of the others were three and five, but it's still. It's still a cassette. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get a tape that got a little bit crinkled, and all of a sudden you lost your code. I mean, I, I yep. guess you could like spill a coffee on a disc too, but oh, right. I, and then the, the Cocoa disc system, especially compared to some of the other eight bit machines, was actually quite fast, which was nice too because it you know yeah, it, it yeah. seemed so much better than even some of the other disc systems. But I got really spoiled when I got into OS nine and a hard drive. Oh my god! <laughs> and now that seems pathetically slow compared to cross assemblers. <laughs> The times change, folks. That's all I can tell you. It does? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nick wouldn't know because he's still running Ed Tasm. <laughs> Probably why I never see any bugs. <laughs> yeah, it could <laughs> be. It. Could be related. <laughs> uh, James Jones seen... says, yeah, Cocoa uh, Disc is infamously faster than C64. I remember the comparison was we could load right. Zaxxon from tape faster than the C64 could load it from disc. <laughs> Bob was showing us the uh, PCB, but it was a blank one. He's got a second board, or did he just pop out all the chips off the uh, off the board he sold? He it ripped up? them all off. And actually, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have an update there, Bob? Because I've not there actually. Had there <laughs> I'll, I'll stop sharing so we can get an update from Bob live. You want to highlight him there, Mark? Yeah. There we go. Over, under, upside down. Okay. Basically, I've been, ah, it's the underside. Okay. I was doing a bunch of uh, scoping signal lines everywhere, and I'm I'm getting you know active data lines, active address lines. Everything seems normal. 
but every video output line is just held high for some reason. So what I'm going to do mm. next is put these chips in my other working color computer. I'm going to make sure that the processor is good. And uh, PIAs. I can't try the PIAs because those are soldered in still. But ah. a lot of things, right? I noticed that this processor was getting pretty warm after a while, which maybe that's normal, but I just want to verify. Is that, that a 6809 or 639? This is a 68B09. Okay, so two megahertz rated right. 689. That probably does get a little bit warm. Yeah. So that PCB has all the um, the component layout on the underside. No, it's it's you can't you yeah. just can't see it. Oh no no no! I didn't see it right. Okay. Couple of comments in the chat here on on Ed Tasmas. Well just catch those up while we're here. Uh, also on on cassette versus uh, disc. Um, Peter Willow says, my goal in learning Edtasm was to do Colin Stearman's Cooking with Cocoa series, and that's where he created a whole alternate DOS ROM. That was a really good series, actually. Uh, he's actually an English fellow, too. He's actually from England. He moved to the States, and that's when he was doing the uh, series for Rainbow. Uh, 60 says, of course, a BBC Micro could load a game off tape faster than I can load the Dragon version of Galagon off tape because it's saved as separate blocks for reasons best known to the people profiting off tape length. That was one thing, if I remember, and Nick, is it still the case with Robert's version where Ed Tasm would create the separate little 256 blocks with the headers as to where to load each block, even if it didn't need to? Um, I don't know. Because there's one thing that bugged me about the original color disc Ed Tasm, because you would, if you had a program of, say, 8K long, it would save a little header, you know, this block's going to load at 2,000, this one's going to load at 2,100, this one's going to load at, like it had the little header blips. <laughs> For every single 256 byte block, as opposed to just saving as one continuous one, which takes out all the headers and speeds up the load because it's shorter. You're talking about cassette. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't do much with cassette. Oh, okay. I was pretty well dead against cassettes. <laughs> okay. Because I do remember that. That was annoying as hell. But I think even the disk yeah. versions did that too. I mean, it, it slows down the load a little bit, makes the file a bit bigger than it needs to be. Just insert those little preamble, postamble crap. But that's again, if you're saving to a cassette, is it? No, I remember the disc version saving the preamble blocks on disc two, the original uh, color ad tasm. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't and there's see... there's a reason that's there because you can actually have a program that's not contiguous. You can split it up like here's a screen, and then I'll skip five K, yeah. and here's the code or whatever. But it did that whether you needed it or not. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. I was just adamant not to use cassettes. Okay. Well, as Bob is uh, going through and testing some chips back and forth here, we'll go back and finish off the rest of the news. Okay, so that's Bob's story. Anyway, it's available. The The Coco 3 version of uh, Ed Tasm with the 639 enhancements is available on the Calculator Archive even as we speak. I was been on there for a couple of days, so you can go, go grab it, free download. There's a bunch of different versions included for like Becker ports and emulator specific and real Coco 3s, et cetera. So okay, I think it's even Coco 1 and 2 version with 639 support, if I remember, isn't there? Did you take a look, Nick? I never really looked at that. I just run that one version, okay. Coco, uh, Coco SDC version. 
Okay. I think I remember seeing those in the directory when I extracted, but I didn't get a chance to run any of them. Yeah. Okay, next up. Simon Jonasson is uh, working on a new online graphics editor for the Cocoa Graphics modes, which will allow exporting for both the Cocoa Dragon and the MC-10 Alice. Um, using the four color modes, you'll notice it says here CSS0 and CSS1. That's the color selection. Um, so that's which base colors you get in the two uh, color sets. Uh, the one the ones that Ken was mentioning actually earlier here. So you can actually do this designing on once these gets this done here. You can basically design your own screens and then export the data out. You can export it as 609 or 6309 data statements or code to draw it or whatever else. So that'll be a good tool for those who wanted to do some graphics for the Cocoa 1, 2, and the Alice and MC10. Mm, so we'll yeah, keep you posted as that goes. Sorry? That'll be a handy little program, yeah. Yeah. I think there was a semi-graphics editor. Yeah, on, I, that's what I was ready. about to say, actually. <clears throat> I thought he did a semi-graphics one. Yeah, he did. Uh, but this ago. is actually to do the P-Mode you know, 1, P-Mode 3 yeah, type yeah. stuff. Richard Kelly, um, back to Asm again. Uh, Asm SFX routine version 1.0. All this routine does is play ML sounds from a buffer. By default, page one of the graphics screen is used for sound data, so that's about 1.5K. Cassette buffer holds the actual ML routine, so it's, you'd probably be running it from disk. And feel free to distribute it. He's mentioned in the comments right, that he's going to do some tweaks and changes to it, but basically it's a way to you know, do sample digitized sound effects. And you can just call this with an exec after you load the sound data into the first page of the P-Mode graphics, then if you're doing your graphics game, you can just do a P-Clear 5 and then you'll start on page 2 for the displaying, leaving that 1.5K free for digital sound effects. And then you just exec this little routine and you can play them from your basic program. So anyway, he's working on a, an update to it already too. So, But if you want to try it out now, it's 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 functional. Now, this is an interesting one. For those of you more familiar with VCC and some of the changes that have been done in VCC recently, uh, Michael Evenson, or Evanson posted in the VCC channel on Facebook, Hi, I am working on my own emulator for 609, and I noticed that the code in VCC that handles the TFM does not handle incrementing and decrementing of the source and destination registers properly. I've tested this on real 609 and discovered that the registers get updated as they're used and not at the completion of the memory transfer cycle. This also affects interrupts. So when you interrupt the TFM copying from say x plus to y plus it will the interrupt comes in between the read and the write which if you're just copying memory usually is okay unless you modified that memory in the meantime but it sucks when you're trying to read and write off peripherals because you might read a byte off of a disk controller and then it'll tell it to go back and reread that byte before it actually does the write and if you're trying to read you know from a an io card or something like that like a, a disk sector buffer you, basically eats the one byte because it never gets stored and then proceeds to read the next byte so it actually corrupts the data and that was a big problem we discovered early on the six or nine both uh, chris burke from power boost and us had that problem we were trying to figure out what the heck is going on but anyway back to his uh comment here so um and he mentions that this is a, this is a situation that he tried that i have not tried before so this is interesting this means that if the source and target registers are the same, for example, TFM X plus comma X plus, the emulator will produce incorrect behavior. VCC does the read and write before updating the registers. This is not how the real 6309 does it. He gives some sample uh, code, pseudocode to actually try to see code, I guess. He said, this is what the output should look like. Given the memory content, If is this before time? So basically, if he's copying 16 bytes, 
And he gives the example. He preloads all those data bytes at X to be 0, 01, 0, 02, 0, 03, up to 10. And he says X getting TFM X plus comma X plus where X is pointing at the memory location starting that pattern. It should real yield this, which is what he got from a real 639 from testing. 0101, 0301, 0305, 0505, 0707. So basically it 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 does the uh duplication between. So basically it, it will eat the the result of the second byte before it even gets a chance to go anywhere. But VCC is not doing that. It actually just shifts them over. Um so he's got some suggested you know changes that he's mentioning here on the flex user group and also on the SWTPC. So he's been using some other 6809 based systems and other 6809 based operating systems. But that sounds like a bug that probably should be fixed in VCC. I know there was some other issues before, but, uh, and I know they've been actively, you know, fixing stuff on VCC the last while. So hopefully uh, whoever's currently doing it, I think it's, um, what is his name? I assume he has a beard. Um, Rick. Uh, Jay. <laughs> no, not, not my that. fault. Not my fault. <laughs> not, not that big of a beard. Um, it's not GC. It's um, shoot. My apologies. I'm forgetting his name. EJ something. I think. But hopefully he he's he's gotten a chance to read this on Facebook and, and can work on fixing that little thing because I don't know if a lot of programs that would be pulling off that type of a stunt in particular. But it would be nice to have it as accurate as possible. Now, next up, Mr. Dave. So he's been working on some patches to basic, and uh, this is still a work in progress too, but he's actually got a, a beta of this you can download off the Cocoa Discord. Uh, and basically, he's, he's replacing, I think it's the print using code because he considers it pretty useless. No, so the, this you'd only use if you're not using print using in your code because <laughs> otherwise it'll get corrupted. Uh, but basically, he's been adding and changing the functions of some... Uh, of the commands in basic to speed them up and to add new functionality with speed. Um, so the stuff that he's been mentioning that he's been speeding up so far has been stuff like set print joystick. And he's doing that. Uh, the joystick one is basically, it's not doing a full read of all possible 64 values. Cause most games generally tend to be, I need to go left. I need to stay centered. Or I need to go right. For example, you don't need all 64, you know, variable in between. So if you're writing a game like that, that'll speed up the joystick read a fair bit. Um, he's also got stuff like double peak and double poke. So you can you know, poke two bytes at a time. You can peak two bytes at a time. So you can get a 16-bit register equivalent or an integer. So that helps. Uh, he's got a new fast copy RAM command. Um, and he's got versions of these for both the Cocoa 1 and 2. If you have 64K, so we'll copy the ROMs to RAM and then patch basic there. Or on the Cocoa 3, since it already boots up in all RAM mode, it'll just patch it in place. And uh, and this one here is just doing a bit of a demo, and he kind of mentioned I should start it roughly around here. So basically, he's going to be copying from upper memory in the MMU somewhere uh, onto the text screen using the copy F command that he's added. So he's doing a 200 plus 400. These are all hex values, too, just to make it faster. You don't have to convert from decimal. Come 05, come 0400. Come uh, 38 exclamation mark. And he's punching that into a program. So he's actually going to run the program to show it running. And you can see how fast it just blasted that little picture of a dog on semi-graphic screen, just using the copy F command. And you can use this on graphic screens. You can use it if you want to back up memory in different spots. Like I know Fred Provencher was trying to L poke and L peak a bunch of extra data that wouldn't fit in the 32K for basic. 
this is an excellent way to do that because you can just block blast it in and out, you know, whenever you need, you know, a certain amount. And if you learn how to use var pointer command and stuff, so you can actually figure out where your strings are stored, you can actually blast it into variables if you need to. And then you can write a basic program that might, you may say a semi-graphics-based graphical adventure game. You could uh, put a whole bunch of different pictures of scenes that take up, say, half a screen, so a quarter of a K, fill up 64K of those in upper RAM on a Kogo 3, and uh, use this command to actually just load them as you go from room to room and just blast those graphics on the screen pretty well instantaneously. All in basic with this, you know, change command, so... He's still got some tweaks to do. He's still got some stuff he's got to, you know, fully debug and, and finish. But if you want to give it a shot and kind of see where he's going with it, you can get it on the Coco Discord. I think in the basic channel, if I remember correctly. Uh, next up, uh, since we have Bob Emery actually on the show here, this is the stream he was simulcasting while we had the show last week. So we started before our show started and he finished after our show ended, but we had little live updates from him. Um, so the five and a half hours of streaming goodness of, of building the Coco 3 board he's working on now. So, uh, Bob, did you have any comments on how the stream went for you last time? And also another update, how are you doing on your current one? Um, well, I have verified that the processor is good. Um, all the chips are good. The, all the signals that I'm looking at on my working Coco look just like the signals I'm seeing on the one I built, except for the video outputs. <laughs> Okay, so that should narrow down where the circuitry is. I mean, at, at least I can tell that things are working in the background, but I don't okay. know why I'm not getting any output. Okay, and any uh, comments on the stream you did last week? Did that go like you expected it to, or did um, you get any comments from people other than people on the watching through the Coconation show? Actually, I'm still getting views on that, slowly racking up. Uh, I guess it went pretty well seemed like it was fairly popular for not really being a regular video just being a, a lot of quiet soldering i guess people can watch it and listen to your show too so that helped there you go. <laughs> yeah yeah you were simulcasting our stream yeah. that's right <laughs> yeah because it looks like right now this is as if i loaded the page you know this morning there's 90 views already on it and for a mm -hmm. five and a half hour video that's pretty good yeah and, and just from looking on the chat replay that I've got here, just from where I happen to have it paused, um, there's like comments from somebody named Albert Akjay, and I don't think that's one of our regular listeners. So that's somebody that was viewing you for seeing you do the hardware upgrade and not anything to do with yeah. the Coco Nation fan. I think on the day of, I had maybe seven or eight views. So. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, Rocky Hill, uh, the author of the motherboard himself, was on there later on the show too, it looks like. In the mm -hmm. chat. So, do, is, did you did you did you enjoy doing it mm -hmm. that way? Was this something you you plan on doing more of, or did it was it kind of like distracting you from the work you're trying to actually do, or how did that go? Well, actually, I, I think I like the live streaming better than editing videos. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely fall in that camp. <laughs> Edit schmed it. But yeah, the. The dead space is kind of hard to cope with, but apparently people don't mind it so much on YouTube. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I wish Sloopy was here to talk about, but Ken probably can. Like, there's a lot of live hardware streams for people that are, you know, experts on Commodores or experts on Apples or experts on PCs, mm-hmm. and they seem to be pretty popular. And they they go for four or five hours too, and it's 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 a completely interactive thing with chat. Sometimes they'll even invite guests on just to comment on what they're doing, so they have their camera on their whatever yeah. hardware they're fixing up, and then the other people are commenting like, "You you should probably check that capacitor. That yeah. one tends to blow up, or what you know that type of thing." That is something I would actually probably enjoy is having uh, people giving me feedback on what to check or stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I'm planning at some point of doing something like that with software. I'm actually just going to fire up Nitrous 9, have a couple of guests on, and then also have people in the chat, you know, give suggestions like, how would I do this? And then just live demo, you know, how do you do this in Base 9? How do you do this in assembly type thing? Um, So I'm hoping to do something similar in principle but on the software side because i if i did hardware it would just be hair on fire and melted circuit boards and <laughs> well, blowing I'm, chips i'm thinking i might do a little bit of both myself i still want to do like a maybe a multi-part live stream where i go over my uh color fog program and how some of the routines work and how to how the how i <clears throat> optimized it and stuff i think there might Sounds be like some it some value for some of the programmers out there sounds like a cocoa tech to me yeah i I did get and this is not a complaint against you mark or anything it just happens to be the way the chips fell those first few episodes that some people are going it's it's really hardware centric is it i'm not really a hardware guy i i got two comments actually on that but that's just happens to be the shows that came up right Cocoa Tech is meant to be just technical. It doesn't matter if it's software, hardware, or maybe a a programming philosophy even or something. Who knows? Just happened to be that all the hardware guys got in first. (laughs) Right. Rick and I are going to be fixing that on Tuesday, so be there or be square. But don't worry. I'll come up with some hardware and block it up again. Well, wouldn't DriveWire be uh, considered software? But it's hardware, too. Yeah, that one's both because it's it's relying on you know really mm-hmm. good routines or a possible chip upgrade to fix it on the Coca One to get faster speeds of uh, the Bitbanger. Maybe that's what I need to do is hook up a terminal to this. There you go. <laughs> now you might need a special ROM to see anything on it though if you can't get that far. Up. Oh yeah, if you haven't already done your login to OS nine thing ahead of time, like a ROM cartridge in. Yeah, that's a possibility. That might actually help, depending see on what went wrong. Audio comes but, out. but motor on, motor off didn't work, so it is crashing at some point. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Unless, unless you're a really bad typer. Right. <laughs> or I have the keyboard slightly out of alignment in the socket. Yeah, there's many. Yeah, that's possible too. Hmm. Anyway, on screen here from the author of the Athena board that Bob is literally working on even as we speak, he did a quick little uh, YouTube short, I believe these are called. I hate them because they're vertically oriented. But uh, that's the way that YouTube does it. Um, And this is actually the Athena board revision 1.2.0. Now, I don't know anything about this. I don't know if there's anything extra on it. Do you know anything about this, Bob? I think it's mainly just uh, he's gone through trying to uh, make it closer match Candy's original uh, tracing. Okay. Because I didn't get a chance to watch this. I just saw it was there, so I put it in the news links because Rocky's always really good with his videos. 
-hmm. they're really on topic. So I'll I'll just play it because it's short. It's not going to be that long. So hopefully it won't take too long to play. And we'll discover what it is together, I guess. If it plays. Oh, yeah. Short and wide. And then widened and shortened. So it'll be. This looks like a YouTube ad coming on. Postage stamp and a YouTube ad. Yeah. This isn't even the right video. No. Well, that didn't work. The right title, though. I hate YouTube. Some days. Well, it's 1.1. That's the older board. Oh, there we go. Uh, We'll bump around a while. and Good Lord, is it running slow? There we go. It's poorly formatted. Must be right. Except now we're not getting sound. Portrait, not landscape. Where the hell's a sound button on this? Uh, there isn't any. There should, should be, be. Top corner of the uh, screen. No, uh, the oh, uh, which top corner? The microphone. Yeah, uh, it disappeared. Where did it go? Oh, that's because it was switching videos. So when you oh, click yeah, on shorts, the video itself, it's, it seems to jump to another link of his. Yeah, or yeah, shorts yeah, way. It's a, yeah. The, but the uh, the the mute button is in the top right hand corner because why not? It's in the bottom left hand corner on the regular videos. With everything else, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Or bo- top right hand to bottom left, yeah, whatever. It's like. Okay, so you're saying top. Yeah, so it should be up right by yours. I didn't click anything yet. What the hell is it doing? It went spastic. Rom, it's a short video. Paid. Athena Revision 1.2.0 Coco 3 Recreation Motherboard. And when I say much anticipated, it's basically just me who was anticipating it. No one else. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, there are improvements to this one. Here's the original one, the 1.0.1. Done coming through okay? Uh, changes are yep. that I changed the size of the board to better match the original uh, board. The dimensions are better. It lines up much better. And the routing. The routing is much, much improved. I hand-routed this board to better match the original routing. So there was no there was no outer routing done here. That this must came have took nice. some work. It's, it's really nice. You can yep. see it online. Impressed. I'll put the link in the description. Yeah, I'll be Let's take the top off of the Coco 3 here. And you can see there that everything lines up, at least in the points I had pretty nicely. All I need now is a give me X. Go Athena. Here is the mud. Cool. Okay, cool. So you guys were oohing and on about something, but you'll have to explain it to a non-hardware guy. What what were you oohing and on about? Well, because he hand-routed this, he didn't let the machine just kind of do whatever traces. He did everything just like Tandy did. So this should be a very, very, very accurate recreation down to microsecond bus timings on individual traces and so forth because he's approximating the original length of every trace and the original routing of every trace. So so, so every trace he hand routed through, you know, on that board. To match what Tandy had done in the first place. Yeah, as opposed to just letting that software automatically do it. He went and like hand drew each one of these things. Oh wow! That That's a takes lot more of patience traces. than I have. 
Coco three board. <clears throat> now, why would he have done this? Is 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 the auto rooting in the software not that good? Is that why he would have done this, or is it just? Well, no. This be... is this is an original Coco. So any little timing imperfection between the traces is approximated on this board, where the auto router could have made you know a couple milliseconds here, a couple microseconds here. Who cares? Which could potentially cause some problems on tightly timed. Stuff. Right, yeah. so it might be like an emulator that is quite right, but because it's hardware, you can't fix it. So by doing this, he's avoided a lot of problems. I think. Yeah, and two traces that run next to each other can build up a capacitance. Right, that and, isn't on the original one. And the timing is all different because the Coco does not balance traces. You know, you've got you've got a short D one and a long D seven, and they don't care. Well, you need to reproduce that. So okay. he's done that. Well, at those speeds, sometimes it doesn't really matter. Uh, but sometimes but at one, it does. Two megahertz, you can <laughs> get away with murder sometimes. Right, but sometimes it does. So he's avoided that he's problem. He's being safe. By, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we got a couple other motherboard bits here, and we've got some guests in the chat. will help be able to help me with some of this anyway. So the first one up is from Karen. Uh, his motherboard repro. I noticed he chose the same purple for the main one. <clears throat> but he said, basically working, although I need to figure out why the reset detection doesn't work as is, then move on to see if I can support address glitching. I don't know what he means by that. Edit, in case it's not clear, that's replacing the SAM, not piggybacked on top of it or anything. So he's basically duplicating the SAM chip, if I'm understanding this correctly. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, Karen. And then he's got a little video. I'm not sure what's in there, but we'll try playing it. That's still showing. One way. Back. Okay, there's the infamous double speed poke on a Coco 1 2 where the SAM and VDG can't talk yep. to each other because it's too fast. Pretty pretty. Yeah, and slow down mm. poke and put it back to normal. Uh, and 60 says, yes, that is a replacement for the SAM. So there's another chip that's hard to get that the replacement. We've already got the salt and um, the SAM. So that's cool. I know there's a SAM doubler. Maybe we can incorporate that into a replacement SAM too <laughs> that uh, Brandon Donahue's done where that double speed poke you saw that screwed up the screen refresh actually would still work if you had static, static RAM in there. Well, you planning on doing of... that there, uh, Sixty? <laughs> <laughs> I love cool, feature but... creeping everybody else's hardware. Sorry, go ahead, Rick. I was just going to say the whole idea behind the Coco is the SAM. You need that address multiplexing so you can have the video and the CPU on the same RAM. Without that chip, you can't do anything. So a replacement for that chip for any of us experimenters is absolutely good news. Okay, that, we can. Without that chip, you've got an MC10. Right. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, you, you have none of the semi graphics modes except for four and six. Well, and you can't share RAM between video and CPU without the SAM. And that's the whole idea behind the Coco is you're sharing RAM between the video and the CPU. So. A couple I'm comments in the chat here. Sam is in a CPLD, is what uh, 60 is saying. 
Peter Willis says a Sam likely pure obtainium now so, as well. So this is good. And the 60 says working well enough still to do is to make it glitch compatible, which you'll still have to explain what exactly that means. <laughs> and, and he did say, I did build Stephen Stuart Orchard's 256 K banker logic into it, but I haven't tested that yet. So the board that Ken did a video on recently, that's a big external thing is built into that little Sam board <laughs> to get your Coco one tour dragon up to 64 or 256 K. With additional banks of 32k, you can swap in and out. And yes, you have to be bug compatible with uh, all the previous chips. So, what what bugs are in the salmon? But just out of curiosity, I don't know, but I'm sure uh, this person does. Like I know, Sixty's done some really critically timed tests, kind of like you know Dragonfire does, but he's done stuff for simulating hardware vertical scrolling, etc. So. I wonder if that's what he's kind of testing out. Because because nothing does what the data sheet says it does. <laughs> so having someone that goes and actually does what the chip does is a real bonus. Yeah, 60 saying uh, it's mostly to have something to build on. And yes, the glitches are important and underlined important because you get hardware scrolling out of it. Okay, actually just what I brought up. So he's done some pretty amazing, you know, little tricks here using it, using hardware smooth scrolling, basically just using Sam timing tricks. And the last story, jumping over to Julian Brown, who's also in the chat, so he can correct me when I'm wrong on all this, too. Um, got all the missing parts in the post, just fitting the last IC and found this boo-boo. IC 10 has somehow inherited the wrong footprint. It has two more oh. pins than it should. Oops, there. <laughs> now got to wait for a new board build and to transfer all the ICs across. Gutted. Wish I had done this one first, not last. <laughs> oh. And of course, his board also has uh, 206k uh, built into it too. So he's doing the Dragon 32, and I think Karen's doing the Dragon 64 replacement motherboards, and they're both already extending stuff with 256k RAM support, etc. Which is really cool. <laughs> Julian in the chat says, ouch. <laughs> Sixty says also, and all the DRAM dynamic RAM support stuff, and this can be ripped out for SRAM based boards. But best to start from works like the original. I agree, <clears throat> but I do know that Brendan's uh, Sam doubler thing will let you run full double speed, same as a Coco three on a Coco one and two. So if you want to speed up your Coco uh, one and two machine language games by double, you can you can do that with that too. But it does require the static RAM; otherwise, your screen goes nuts. And that's it for the news this week. Somebody wake up, Mark B. I'm here. <laughs> I already had a nap earlier. Oh, and the bed spreads clean, so life is good. Yeah, let's it's still indentation where he's laying down during the news. Yeah, well, there's a cat there now. <laughs> and there's Bob. So before we end the show here, Bob, mm -hmm. uh, how was it going? You figured anything out yet? Are you still swapping chips or um, what have you tried? Got a quick. Uh, test I'm going to try here. I was checking the lines on the 74LS04. That was one place where it looked like I was getting signals on my board, my good one, that didn't maybe match what's on here. So I'm going to recheck this and see. Okay. Well, while you're getting ready to do that, I'm just going to mention Julian Brown has another comment here. He says, been trying to bodge this one for days. That's one of the two extra pins. 
He said, but it is possibly beyond my bodging capabilities. <laughs> wow, that's really broke. <laughs> so I was thinking, Bob, so all the video is generated by the gimme itself. Mm-hmm. So is it the gimme is not getting the signals? Because you tested, tested the composite out of the gimme, I think I saw, right? I did. It was basically five volts. So the wow. gimme is not getting programmed. Um, possibly. But I can tell you that the, all the data lines and the address lines look normal. As far as I can, you know. Yeah. You were poking yeah. at the 138 earlier. All the signals look good there. Yeah, I think so. I'm about to do it again. Okay. Mm. Um, let's see. The, uh, for the others, the 138 does the basically the selects for all the different areas. Right, the CTS, SES. That's how the gimme PIA says. PIA1, PIA2, all of yeah, that. Yeah, that's how the gimme says, I want the ROM, or I want the uh, PIA. My, my scope is really not cooperating with me here. It's so old and jumpy, I can't keep it properly uh, centered you on the ground. slap it. Yeah, well, I have been. <laughs> you know, the RCA kicked. <laughs> And on top, you go wham, and then you get glass shattering. When all else fails, use the hammer. That's all my hardware solutions. Is there a similar software uh, tool that you use? <laughs> power off, power back. Yeah, reboot. <laughs> if it don't compute, you must reboot. So you're working off of a. So you got the the uh, pepper board along with just some five volts. Yeah, so I went ahead and converted this just to run off a of DC for now for uh, 12 volts. Nice. Okay. Um, just wanted to eliminate any AC weirdness with the mm. power supply. Uh, I'll check this here. Don't you feel silly if it turns out it's your RF modulator? Okay, that looks good. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, no, the, the stupidest thing would be, you know, like one of the gates on this 04 is blown. And so uh, the so whole it, computer is disabled because there's no inverter. Right here, I'm getting this signal on the input. Can you even see that on the screen? Uh, it's high. See, yeah, we see one line there. Let's see if I can get it better here. Yeah, now it's low, but we saw no transition. I think I'm here. Yeah, hold on. Let me get rid of the panel here. Okay. So. Yeah, you get rid of all of us. Okay. So there's I a signal. Oh, okay. There is a, yeah, there is a high, low. active, low. And then this is the output for the same thing. So that might well, be. That ain't that, good. That's, that's not a good. How, well, no. so we have some goes no, into, no comes out of. What's that? So that one looks right. Because we can't see the transitions. Okay. We can only see the top and bottom. Okay, so we can see some uh, active low transitions there. It might be acting weird because of triggering here. Oh, no, we just can't see. Horizontal shift to find that trigger. And, then, and I'm not sure if that's a input or an output. It's pin 13. Which ship is it? 
So no four. LS04. Okay, so. Okay, now that, okay, now pin 12 is showing something. 12 okay. would be a, the input. And they do look like an inverted. Okay, so that's normal. So it's falling, descending, falling in plan. Okay. Oh, wait. Mm -hmm. Oh, 12 would be the output, sorry. Because 14 is VCC, 13 would be the input, 12 would be the output, and input, output, input, output on that same side. Yeah. Hmm. But why wouldn't the gimme have composite out? It should just do that. That should be like on its own. Right. Just at least a border. <laughs> well, if it if it couldn't if the CPU couldn't read the read the ROM and well, would it have to program the, but you uh, don't even you don't even need ram to get a border in a crashed vdg screen i'm puzzled unless there's let me find a better looking schematic here Because as far as I know, the gimme is going to crank crank out some kind of video. But there's but there's no RGB out also, which means which comes out of a different section. Right. But why is why is there nothing coming out of the gimme? It should run when the rest of the cocoa's dead. Or does it, it need to get programmed to even turn on video? No, it it comes right up. I've, okay. I've broken so many cocos. I I know this one. <laughs> so in which case would there be something? Well, yeah. Why is it quiet? Why is it not? Yeah. Could there be something that's dragging that line up high? Or such that has. As... Or that it's just stopped the gimme for some reason. They're all right. high, red, green, and blue, and composite. Uh, what's pin 39 in the gimme doing? Let me see. I'll get my, uh... I know what it should be, but just for oh, instance, what should it be? Okay, can you tell me how to get to pin 39? <laughs> Not a clue. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> the 124th one from the right going. Uh, try, oh, uh, Jesus, R it's hard. try R8. R nine and R ten. <laughs> okay, because uh, the R eight should be a four point seven k, and it basically pulls up that okay. pin to five volts, but it's mm -hmm. test mode, and I'm wondering if it's ground. Oh, I'm showing it... high. Okay, that's what it should be, and the other side is Shoot. five volts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Is there a halt pin or anything? 
So you got Q and E clock working going into the gimme, right? Yeah. And that's R9, R10. Wait, aren't those generated by the gimme? Or uh, no, that's the, the CPU. Uh, so yeah, there's my clock. Yeah. Yeah. So the you're right. The gimme would be generating yeah, the clock because Sam, Sam used, used to. Used to. It. Yeah. yeah. So it's outputting. That was so we're the talking. Key. That's that's the E. Um, U uh, U fifteen pins eleven and thirteen. Any signal there? U fifteen. Which chip is that? Uh, oh, seventy four oh four. The one you were beating on earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so thir thirteen did have signal. Uh oh, yeah. change battery. Uh oh. Well, Bob Stark. <laughs> Bob Windirk. Just hardware failures all over the place here. Right? So I was looking to see is like is the H sync and V sync being generated. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Let me Because it should be doing that thing. regardless, unless unless it needs to be told that it needs to be 50 or 60 hertz. Ooh. Yeah, because the ROM would do that, wouldn't it? Wouldn't the ROM program it? So which means the Gimme would have to be at least rudimentarily programmed. That's another thing. I'm I'm not sure how to tune that capacitor if I need to tune it. Well, even if it's way out of whack, it's you still should get still something. Something. Yeah. Right. All right. Picture should be coming back shortly. There we go. Okay. Yep. So eleven and thirteen are should be generated by the gimme. So that's 13. There's definitely a signal there. Okay. And, and then so 12, 11. of course, is the invert of that. Yeah. Kind of hard to see here, but yeah. Okay. And so those go to, those go right to the RGB out on, but the SCART doesn't use those two pins anyway. So, only the CMA is using those. Um, damn, what do we got? Of course, if you hold reset that uh, for a second, nothing comes up, right? No. The video doesn't come back? Okay. Nothing. Uh... Well, should we check? Should we check read right? Make sure we got some goes into. Um, where's the best place to grab that? Um, I guess the processor uh, pin thirty-two. So let's see, forty, thirty-nine. Thirty-two shows high pulsing. Okay, so the CPU is trying to talk to something. Yeah, and it's getting warm. Not hot, hot, but it's it's, it's trying. It's doing stuff. All the data lines are dataing. 
And that's pins 30, 30, uh, 24 through 31. Uh, okay, so how about U3? Uh, let's try, say, pins 11 and 9. Uh, you know what? Let's try, uh, I'm sorry, 18 and 2. That's a better one. So 2 is pulsing. Okay, then don't worry about eleven. Don't worry about eighteen. Then. Just... Yeah, that's twenty. Yeah, so the high side of that chip is the inputs, and the low sides, the uh, pins two through nine, are the output. So if you got output, then you're gonna have input two. So. Yeah. Uh, pin one is it doing anything on that chip? Pin one, it is. Hi. A lot of stuff's working. Okay, so that's the direction of that, which means okay, so okay, so pin one of that chip is tied to pin 32 of the processor. So you had a signal in pin 32, but you don't have it on pin one? Pin one is high. Because that's the read-write signal. They're tied together. Thirty-two is high. Okay, so, so that's high. Yeah. okay. So that's read-write. So right now the processor is stuck. Hmm. Go Ooh. ahead and hit reset. It's halted. Yeah, it it halted. But I thought we had a signal there a little bit ago. So when I reset it, you see that. Okay. It's talking. Okay, so now go to pin one of the uh, U3. Making sure there's not a break in there in that line somewhere. Yeah, it's pulsing. Okay. Right. So something well, had halted it. My head out of a shot. Well, it could be someone, some monkey poking around with a logic detector. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. Anyone else have an idea? Where to go next? Turn it off and no, on. No video is really concerning to me because to get a border in a plain green screen doesn't really require anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. so like the, the gimme is, is halted itself. Yeah, it's like nothing, something it's, just... It's generating a clock, but it's not going anywhere else. Was the CPU pulled from another board or something new? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I do know that it's a good CPU. I just put it in a working color computer and it's, and it's a good gimme because you tested that and it's a good gimme and the ROM is good. Gotta yeah. try that. I suspect a, a Coco gimme will put up a border with no CPU. I have to try right. that. So on U9 pins one, two, and three, did, did, did they have activity? Uh, let's see. That's that 138. Oh, it's the 138. Okay. I've got a schematic pulled up. Pin one is pulsing. Okay. Pin two is pulsing. Do you have anything else except for watching Bob work on this? 
Pin three is bolting. Uh, there was nothing else for the show that I know. I've about. got a question. Uh huh. Um, just regarding the drive wire four, um, I'll just show a picture, and uh, of the drive wire four is this is on the drive wire four website, and they show a separate interface. I'll just share share the screen. Hmm. So, somewhere, share screen. Here we go. I'll just find it. And then when you get a chance, Bob, pin six of U9. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's the DriveWire 4 off, off the DriveWire 4 uh, webpage. They show mm -hmm. in the bottom, uh, on the bottom right, that UI there for the floppy disks. I've never seen that in the DriveWire 4. How do we get that up? Does anyone know if that actually exists? Hmm. It was on Cocotech, so it must exist, but I don't know how to Well, they didn't, they didn't talk anything about that. No, but, I... yeah, on the website, uh, the DriveWire 4 website, that's the, you know, that, that's one of the images there. All the other windows, are, uh, you know, I do see them in DriveWire 4, but like I'm just wondering how do you get that, that floppy drive you, um, window come up? What if you hit the floppy disk button there on the upper left? Upper left. On the menu. Uh, right underneath the word image. Oh, no, that's part of the viewer. Yeah, that that's the viewing program I've got. Oh, that's not the... Yeah, that's not the uh, the image itself. Oh. Yeah, now you can you can add a floppy to DriveWire, of course, but you don't get that interface. You get the well, it's in the background, um, just behind here. You get all that, but you don't get the, that floppy drive interface. I just thought, oh, that looks cool. How do hmm. I get that up? Uh, so no one has seen it. Is that a question for Mikey? No, let's play Marco. It was his show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I I don't remember if I've seen that before. It's been a long time since I played with yeah. DriveWire Four. Yeah, it was on right. the show last night, but I didn't or that last week, great. but I didn't know it was special, so I didn't. Uh... Yeah, as far as I know, it's uh, something to do with the specific drive. You're you're able to click on like the drive letter over on the main window, and I think it'll come up as a as like a view of the the status. Obviously, yeah. it shows reads and writes and counts and stuff, but uh, so yeah, so I can't. I, I've never seen that come up on my DriveWire four. So I was wondering, how do we get that up? Right, it's probably just not available in Australia. That's it. <laughs> the magnetic flux and things, you know. I have to turn it upside down, do I? <laughs> it's because it's because your toilet's flush backwards. I think. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. That. That's all. I was just wondering if someone knew. Okay, I'll stop the share. Do some research there, Nick, and yeah. get back. No worries. All right, so to answer your question, pins uh, four and five are low, pin six is high. Okay, so in the chat, 60 has a suggestion here uh, or observation. 
So when he was, he's got a PAL machine. So when he was probing uh, the uh, uh, gimme, the composite was not outputting anything. Um, so of course, on a PAL machine, they don't use composite. It, they it, it's not connected. It's right. not connected on a PAL. So that would imply that the gimme is not going to output composite unless it's told to. Okay. Uh, no. No, it's still it's still the same gimme chip as the NTSC, but right. that pin that that pin is not wired up on the PCB. Yeah, the but if you measure, oh. but if you measured it on the socket, he wasn't getting an output. Maybe not, but that's what he's got there is not a a, a PAL. No, it's not but, a PAL circuit board, is it? No, but uh -huh. I look at it as being. Uh, maybe a confirmation that the gimme doesn't do anything until it's been told to. No, I think it always throws out composite. Right, right. Okay. I'm looking at the IRQ lines here, 20 and 21. Uh, let's see. 20 is FIRQ and it's low. 21 is high. Um, schematic, schematic, schematic. 21 is a active low IRQ line. Did I freaking close... Oh, of course you did. Uh, pin twenty one. Yeah, so you got RQ and FRQ. Should they not both be low? They're both active low, so they should be high unless they're being uh, inserted, yes. asserted. And active, they, active. They're normally pulled up normally high. Well, with the line above it, it's active low, right? Is somebody trying to say something? Mm -hmm. No. These are all just banging along, though. Yeah. Well, you know what? This is a, this is going to turn into another. Uh, yeah. Um, it's a cocoa tank. I told. Cocoa I reckon end the show. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, okay, because it's uh, 4.30 over here anyway, so... We'll come back next week. Bob will still be here with that logic probe going, hmm, <laughs> hmm. All right, so let's do the outro. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay, so that's the end of the show. Do you want to keep on, or do we want to move this over to Discord? or Move it over to Discord, I reckon. Or yeah, right. keep, it, keep it for a Coco Tech show. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, this gearhead's got a piece of meat here. We got to keep chewing on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose you could keep the 
keep the show. Yeah, I mean, I would cut this off for the episode itself, and this yeah. could be like a bonus content thingy. Yeah, there's no need to record this part, but just whoever. Well, wants if it's streaming, it's recording anyway, right? So yeah. Oh, is it okay? All right. Well, we'll but you can ahead. you can split it apart after the fact if uh, if Bob figures out what's going on. Be a nice little yeah. bonus bonus uh, tech episode or something. Okay. Well, let me go ahead and stop the stream then. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. All right. Thanks for watching.